Hey, yo, Internet, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is sponsored by you know who. Stop playing around. It's Bevel, the superior shaving system designed for people with coarse, curly hair and sensitive skin. Yo, what up, Tristan Walker? Tristan Walker is doing so many amazing things right now, particularly for Black History Month. Bevel is now available in Target, Target stores. He's about to drop the trimmer. He's making so much news right now. Walker & Associates is on fire. And I'm just so proud to be affiliated with such a strong young black man, such a strong company, and such a strong product. I've been fucking with Bevel right now for two years. No problems. I shaved with it just the other day. My face feels like baby bottom. Go to getbevel.com, punch in promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, for 20% off your initial purchases. That's getbevel.com, promo code COMBAT. Tell them COMBAT sent you. And now back to the show. Internet, so you are tuned into the Combat Jack Show. CombatJackShow.com. Is that the right uh, address, man? Is the website up now? Combat Jack Show? We've been getting kind of um, some complaints, man, that it looks like a website for autistic kids, man. I looked at the website, it was real simple. I, I kind of like it. I got to get used to it, but I only saw the last. What's, what's going on with that, man? Is that beta? No, you want to get on the mic, man? Come on, the mic. It's going to get updated. It's going to get updated. So, and so shouldn't that be like behind a wall before we present the no, website? It's going to grow as we progress. King, he, it's cool. He, it's going to grow yeah, as put we your progress. Mouth on. Yo, King, chill. What? Okay, Mena, you saying what now? It's going to grow as we progress through the week. Okay. So more is going to get added to it. So we put out some mediocre shit right now. Not 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 taking away any any yeah. any not taking away anything of the work you've done. Right. But we put out some mediocre shit right now, asking our audience to be patient with us, right? Okay. Internets, you heard that. Jonathan Mena, send all your complaints to Jonathan Mena on Twitter. What's your email? No, I'm not giving you my email. You're not giving us our email? Uh, so all of, the, all of the issues we have right now, I, I listen, Internets, without Jonathan Mena at this point, there is no Combat Jack show. He is the fucking... Uh, nail that keeps the shit together. But at the same time, when the shit starts leaking, it's Jonathan Mena's fault. It, it, it costs to be the boss. So send all your complaints to Jonathan Mena on Twitter and just let's, let's get this shit right. You know what I'm saying? But Thanks. finally, it's CombatJackShow.com. What's up, A-King? How you doing, sir? Yo, man, with all this miscellaneous, like, ad, let, let me talk to I'm this hype, nigga. Man. My Don't bad. be hype. Let me talk to this man. All right, my bad. All right? My bad. Come on, man. CombatJackShow.com. Yo, listen, Internets, man, I'm so um, happy to have uh, today's guest on the show. I first started hearing about him when I was a young kid in the streets of Brooklyn, Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, to be specific, when... Being in this music industry was nowhere even possible. Like, it was the stuff of Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and Elton John and, and you know what I'm saying? So when I, when in 1977, over 78, you know I'm an old cat, when my friends started telling me, yo, there's some cats up the block, man. Their name is Full Force, man. They hot. They got it all together, man. They sing and rap and dance and they do everything. I said, man, stop playing, man. Ain't nobody from Crown Heights going to do nothing big. And then years later, man, like songwriting, hits, Hollywood, Breaking plaques artists. upon plaques upon plaques, stacks upon stacks upon stacks. Internets, without further ado, we bring to the Combat Jack Show 
the legendary bow-legged Lou of Full Force. What's up, sir? What's up, man? Yo, what's up, man? How rich are you, man? Please. How much money you got, I, man? I am not rich. You pay the IRS? Full Force of six members. You have Baby Jerry, Kurt, Shy Shy, Be Fine, my beloved brother, the cancer champion, Paul Anthony, yes. and myself. Yes. That's six motherfuckers. But so. you were the boss. You're the boss. <laughs> no, I'm not the boss. You were, was the, you were the eldest. I'm definitely the eldest. Right. But we're all together. But, you know, we split things six ways right. for our whole career. But when, when, you, when you're selling hundreds of millions of records, <laughs> six ways, man. Damn. Nigga, split that 50 ways. It don't matter. Stop playing, man. You have, <laughs> are, are you in debt? The music industry is fucked up right now. So, you know, bottom line. I mean, we're still good because we have our publishing. So Thank God for that. Are you in debt? Well, we're all in debt. Uh, no, no. We you had, know, we're, we're all in debt. I mean, we you, had milk. you got mortgages to pay. You're still paying That's your true. credit cards. That's true. So everybody's still in debt. You know, they make, like, a, big, they make a big joke about Kanye West and the 53 money. Million. But we're all, we're all like There's that. There's one person that's been on this show. We're all in debt. That said he's not in debt at all. Who said that? Milk D. Just off that one record. Mm. Remember he said that just yeah, he off did. and he just off that uh uh what's it hey, uh, hey, um, if 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 milk if milk the, the, the but, most sample hip hop record uh, listen milk yes, D sir. if milk D is paying mortgage if milk D is paying mortgage and bills and all that he's in debt I think he built his like house. all of us I think he you think built so? his house with his own hands man We're out of milk cartons yo yo <laughs> bow legged Lou man. I like you see, Milk You're sitting here on, on a the Combat brother. Jack show, man. Yo, man, I wanted to get on the show, man. You're my, on the show. My nephew, Seabiz, told me so much about your show that I looked into it myself. I'm like, oh, this motherfucker is the shit. You I know? appreciate so that, I definitely man. want to be here. It took me a while to get here because y'all was too busy with other yeah, we had more snow. important gifts. And we had, had snow on the show. And, and you had Latoya Jackson <laughs> had and Latoya, shit no, like no, that. Rebe. Rebe, Rebe Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and the adopted daughter, Marine Jackson. <laughs> Yo, no, we had Blanket on. Blanket. <laughs> Yo, Bo, man, welcome to the show, man. Yo, man, very good to be here, We man. got Brooklyn in the building, right? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, You're from the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, correct? Yeah, we're from East... We actually, we made our bones at East Flatbush, but, um, you know, we used to live on Kingston Avenue, Bergen and Dean, Jesus. which is Crown Heights Affair. Jesus. Crown, and that's where we saw, you know, Crown, you remember Crown, Crown Heights, Heights Affair? Affair. <laughs> Dreaming a dream. And we used to play with them. They used to be like our band back in the day when it was just me and my two brothers right. as, as, as uh, you know, back, you know, singing with them. And then when they, we broke up, they went on and made it. And we was like jealous and shit. I'm like, damn, Crown Heights Affair made it before us. <laughs> But then we got together with our cousins, became full force, and then we just started gigging in Brooklyn, and and uh, we started getting a name for ourselves in the neighborhood. You know, there was this place in Brooklyn on Eastern Parkway called Club Ecstasy, which, which to us was like Booyaka, was like Booyaka Radio Booyaka City Music Hall because all the big groups from Freddie Jackson, Evelyn Champagne King, GQ, Eddie Kendricks, everybody would play Club Ecstasy. And I'm they like, they let some gunshots in there too, man. A lot of times, I mean, Booyaka it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> And I said, one of these, we're going to have posters and shit. We made our own posters because I was working at a jewelry store at the time in Manhattan and making some good money. And then we started making posters and we convinced them to give us a shot, even though it was an unknown group. And um, we put plastic the posters. We had bull horns, full forces back, even though we never Niggas went like, any damn place. Exactly. Like, who the hell are, are they? back? But when we went to Exit, <laughs> the line was around the corner, man. And we killed, we killed the show. We Lou, killed the show. Lou, let's dope. go back to your musical roots, man. <laughs> All right. Where does that come from? 
Well, my father, my father is the one that uh, got us into singing. My mom's was there and all of our parents, basically. But my father we used to sing with a lot of these groups with Criterions and the Persuaders and the, all these groups. And we like used the to do wop groups, do wop groups. Right. Yeah. The harmonies, acapellas, the 60s and the early 70s. Exactly. And we used to see them. We used to see him in the groups, you know, practice all the time and perform. And um, one day. He heard my brother singing, Paul, because Paul was the first one. He started singing, and then he said, oh, my God, he's got a voice. And when Paul started singing, my father paid a lot of attention to him. And then after that, then I said, I want to sing, too. And found out I had a voice, developed a voice, so we practiced. And then he forced my other brother, B-Fine, who's uh, one of the, the, the brothers, of course, in House Party. We're the Full Force brothers. And we had to force him to sing. You know, he, my father would beat his ass to practice and everything like See, that. So he was like a Brooklyn Joe Jackson with y'all. Right. But not, not, that, not that bad, though. But he was very stern. Right. And it was just the three brothers. And that's how we started performing. And we started uh, performing in the neighborhood and, you know, for money. And then... What we went, did you guys play? I'm sorry to interrupt you, man. What we just was vocalists. Vocalists. Just the vocalists. And we used to have backup bands, okay. performers, to, at, in the beginning, just right. the three of us. And then we um we played... That's when we started playing a lot of neighborhood shows. When we was doing the neighborhood shows, we was competing against other groups from camp. Harlem, like right. Keith Sweat. Like who was at the time? Jamila and the Keith Sweat. Teddy Jamila. Riley. Teddy Riley had his thing. And we all knew Johnny about it. Kemp. Johnny Kemp, may he rest in peace. Beautiful brother, too. But these they, they weren't stars yet either. No, no. We were all in a melting pot, man. It was crazy. This Back is like the, the, the late 70s, early 80s. Late 70s, early wow, 80s, Teddy Riley man. in the 70s. Yeah, with the bands and everything. They don't got bands no more. So um, it was great. And before that, the three of us, we played the Apollo Theater, the Amateur Hour. A lot of times people think Showtime at the Apollo, that's when the first Amateur Hour. But Amateur Hour at the Apollo Theater began in the 40s and yes. 30s. Every Wednesday, they would have the Amateur Hour, and you'd compete. And whoever won first place... Um, you had to come back, and if you win four weeks in a row, then you'd appear on the professional show. Mm. And we we sang a song called Cloud Nine by one of my favorite groups in the world, The Temptations. Mm. And we won four times in a row. It was just three. We were like little kids, and we was... How old were you, man? We were doing steps and everything. My brother B was like, got to be six years old. Six? Yeah, I was eight. I was nine. Paul was eight. So y'all are killing cats. Yeah. At the Apollo. And we saw the Jackson 5 perform before they even had a record deal. So y'all were even too young to even understand what stage fright was. Right. We wasn't nervous at all. We was just killing it. That's crazy. And we used to see, and we, and being that we were so young and my, my aunts, my uncles and my father, all of my father said, they used to take us to the Apollo Theater to see these big shows all the time with all these big legends from Stevie Wonder to Diana Ross to, to Jackson, to 5, Jackson 5, Unifix, you know, groups y'all probably never heard of before, but we was immersed in all of that, you know? And when we won four weeks in a row, usually you had to wait for like two months before you appear on a professional show. Right. But the legendary Joe Tex was in the wings and he said, yo, I would like them to be on my show, which I'm going to be doing next week. So my father said, okay, no problem. And we appeared on the professional show like the very next week with Joe Tex and the legendary Whispers who, wow. who performed for their first time at the Apollo Theater. What was Theater. the song they performed at the time? It was called Seems Like I Gotta Do Wrong. Okay. Seems like I gotta do wrong, gotta do wrong, gotta do wrong before they notice me. They were so dope. They only did two songs a night, Spinning Wheel and that song, The Twins, 
Nicholas Caldwell, who was the tallest brother, he passed away. May he rest in peace. And we, as little guys, we used to bother Damn. them a lot, knocking on the door, because we want them to show us some steps. And we were pains in the asses to them. And um, so, so as we grew up and we became full force, and when we reconnected with the Whispers, we asked them, do they remember? When was y'all first time playing the Apollo Theater? Who's the headliner? Oh, Joe Tex. Do y'all remember three guys, little guys that used to knock on your dressing room door and bother y'all all the time? Yeah, that wait, that was y'all. That's crazy. That was us. That's crazy. You know, so um Lou, let me ask you, man, what was as as you're doing these shows, man, like, you know, I grew up in Crown Heights and we're talking about right before like the, the, the advent of the crap crack epidemic and the whole nine. Right. But how was the neighborhood back then, man? Well, to us, the neighborhood to us, we didn't we knew crime and stuff was going right. on, but we were just having fun. We used to be just young kids. On on the on the streets playing skelly mm-hmm. and playing softball because softball was our favorite sport a long time so we were just neighborhood kids you know grimy and stuff like that but um so it was still like an innocent kind of like working class type of environment right back yeah, then exactly and y'all y'all were fortunate enough to be steered in the music now. How did y'all get to full force? Because I understand your original name was the Amplifiers. Right, the Amplifiers. And what happened is that's, that... That's not really a good name, man. I know. But that was back then. But back then, nobody gave a shit because we were cute. <laughs> What's your name? The Amplifiers. Yeah. Y'all so cute. Amplifiers. What's your name? The Slippers. Y'all so cute. <laughs> it didn't matter. Right. The Clothespins. Oh! <laughs> but anyway, but what happens is that we was rocking it. And then what happens is that my brother B-Fine started staring away because he didn't really like the singing too much. Mm-hmm. So he w- got into the drums. Right. And then what happens is that uh, when we moved to Lennox Road um, out there in Schenectady, um, we, he got together with our cousins who was playing lead guitar, bass guitar, keyboards, Baby Jerry keyboards, bass, Shy Shy keyboards, I mean, lead guitar, Kurt, and be on drums. And so they was an entity to themselves. Right. Me and Paul was still singing because we would be singing with other bands and stuff like that. And then I one time went to a show to see my brother on drums with my cousins at um, Meyer 11. <clears throat> no, it was Winthrop, Winthrop Junior High School. And they were playing and girls were screaming and everything like that. And they were, they were pretty good. And I told Paul, I said, you know what? Maybe we, instead of always being fronted by other bands, maybe we emerge ourselves mm. with them. And that's what we did. And I remember when we told B, I said, B, we'd probably, me and Paul, come with y'all and let's see if we could take it to the next level. And my brother Paul, my brother B-Fine was so excited. Lou, Paul, oh man, I love y'all. I love y'all. And that's what we did. We emerged with them. Me and Paul became the lead singers. Full Force was born. And that's a, that's a, that was a, like, I remember as a kid knowing that that was a dope name. Yeah. Where did that name come from, man? Was it from, like, Japanese animation? Or- no, no. I, I came up with that name only because our show, our live stage show, was always full force. Right. It was crazy. Right. And we were, like, the first, we was the first cats, like, bringing the whole bodybuilding physique thing into the world of, like, R&B music, really. My brother Paul Anthony led that way. And everybody in the neighborhood used to work out like him. And, he used to, and on our shows, he used to strip. He did a striptease act and... It was ridiculous. Let me ask you something, man, because I remember growing up with brothers back in the set. It was right after the the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. pumping iron documentary, right? And then you had all these brothers mm-hmm. in the neighborhood that just started getting diesel. Yeah, and then they went from being diesel. I remember back then. See, I was still kind of young, younger than them, but I just remember a lot of those cats that were on our block lifting and and bodybuilding. They all went into like the stripping business, like okay. the male stripping business, <laughs> and it seems like back then. 
that was that that was another avenue for brothers to get into. That's true. Right. That's true. And Paul, and and you got and and Paul brought that kind of that mentality right. to the stage. He right. wasn't a stripper, but we would we would say, you know, Paul Anthony, how would everybody like to see Paul Anthony take it off? Girls would go crazy, and he'd take it off. And then after that, we go, all right, how many of y'all want to see Paul? Okay, you ready? Everybody say, pull it down, pull it down. And Paul would start to do his strip shit, pull it down, start posing. People went crazy. I'll never forget when Jamie Foxx, when he was in Living Color, he told us when he was young, he saw us perform in, da in Dallas, and he just started doing our steps from back then mm. on the Fresh Fresh tours because we was on the Fresh Fresh tours. That's crazy. And, um, it was ridiculous, man. I mean. How exciting and annoying is it, though, that you got girls screaming, but while you're doing your routines, they grabbing on your peen, man? <laughs> it, was, it was something. They was grabbing on the peen, right? They were grabbing on the shit, and they were reaching out, and they were throwing, <laughs> throwing shit at us, and we're like, wow. And then they knew our names. Pull Anthony, pull Anthony, because we made a, always a conscious effort to throw our names and crazy names in there. And um, it was overwhelming, man. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know what. It was crazy when we were full force, right. and we started doing shows. You know, our first concert stuff was with Lisa Lisa, who we discovered, of course. Of course. And well, we, we went we're about to step there. back for a second. Okay. Let's, let's step back for a second, man. You got full force. You guys are you guys are now the, the you know the full team the cousins are still a family affair. Right. You're doing your shows. You're honing your skills. Um, you had seen cats like 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 uh, Crown Heights Affair get deals, so you yeah. knew that the deals in the music industry was real. Right. 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 Success. But you guys weren't getting any deals. You guys were like the original Jay Z in that nobody wanted to give you a deal. Is that correct? Right. Why right. is that? I don't know, man. It was just hard, and um, they didn't think y'all was handsome back then. No, I don't know. <laughs> y'all didn't have that Jerry curl that back. There was a, did y'all have? To, yeah, yeah, we had. We the, was, the Jerry curl was scaring them deals away. B. We was into the Jerry curl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know, what's so dope. We, even though we had Jerry curls, I'll never forget Fat Man Scoop coming to us and going, "Yo, man, let me tell you something. Even though y'all had Jerry curls and stuff <laughs> like that, not even the hardest niggas would step to y'all with any disrespect. And it's true because we'd be on the Fresh Fest tours and. We just had the ultimate respect from, like, everybody. Back then, we didn't smoke, none of that. And they just gave us total respect from Run to LL to all of them. But what's crazy is there was a slice of time. I remember, once again, going y'all, this is taking me back to my childhood so quickly, man. There was a slice of time when, the like, I want to say it was, like, maybe six months when the Jerry Curl was popping in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was Great. The, the was, Jerry Curl was, was popping was in Brooklyn. O, it was over popping. It was cats had a little uh, white bottle of activator. You had to go get the shit done, and then sometimes <laughs> you put too much in it and starts burning you. Oh shit! Uh! You know it was crazy. The activator was ridiculous. The the the, the, the maintenance, the caps, and when you when you when you when you when you having sex with your girl, when you're dancing, all that splashing around. Uh, it was crazy. But but why did y'all keep it, man? Why did what made y'all keep it? Well, when... we, we kept it for a while. I think I was one of the first ones to start it, staring back after. But we kept it because everybody was wearing it at right. the time. And then um and that's what got us even more popular because not only like doing the physique things and the and the, and the physical fitness thing, but we had Jerry Curls. The, really there was no niggas at the time with the physical fitness and Jerry Curls actually pushing it. You know what I mean? And my brother Paul led the way with that, you know. And but, I think um, that was smart because even though back then New York was still the center of the music industry. Mm -hmm. Y'all look like y'all could have been from Texas. Right. Y'all look like y'all could have been from Virginia, LA, LA. California. So, so I think the access you guys had in different markets, on top of the hits, right. the appearance 
opened up the doors for you guys, man. Yeah. I remember one time in Living Color, they did a skit. Oh, they, they and, used to roast y'all, man. And I, oh, man, Keenan Ivory Wayne is that nigga. They used nigga. to roast you, man. I'm like, he must really like it because <laughs> he himself used to diss us on his TV shows, make fun, and uh, it was ridiculous. But the, with the, In Living Color with Jim Carrey and Tommy Davidson in a wheelchair, it was the Jerry Curl Telethon. Okay. And they said, right. so many people have been inflicted by the dreaded Jerry Curl disease, such public figures as... Full force. And then they show our picture on there with our dripping jerry curls and stuff like that. I think they even <laughs> added more magic marker to it. Yeah. And it was crazy. Everybody's laughing. And I'll never forget, we was in L.A. And Shai, we all heard about it. And Shai Shai heard about it. He was like, yo, man. He didn't even want to walk out because he said, yo, they dissing us. I thought it was hilarious. You knew, you know? you knew that all publicity oh, was good publicity. Oh, you kid, Of course, man. That's amazing. So once again, man, so you guys are struggling Right. You guys are honing your craft. People locally know you guys as full force. but You guys can't get a deal. Right. Somebody stepped to you and said, listen, you guys are so talented. Why don't you write and produce for other people? Right. So and not, you guys were like, nah, we don't want to do that, right? R mostly me. Right. But the bottom line, it was our uh, co-manager who's up in heaven. Goes by the name of Steve Salem. Steve Salem, what up? Rest in peace. Me and Steve went to college together. Okay. He was a behavioral What's science. Cool? He was cool? a Kingsborough Community okay. College two years, and then I went. Brooklyn two years but Steve was just into behavioral science you know and and I told him I said yo Steve come see us before and he came to see us at Club Ecstasy and he was a smart mind you know white boy in the college and, and I always admired him and he admired me sometimes he'd just sit in front of me and says yo Lou man just make me laugh man just, just, just make me laugh I'll never forget that when Steve came to our shows, he um, once we left Kingsborough, he booked us at um, I forgot the college he went to. Damn! But uh, Gil Scott Heron was mm. headlining, and we was able to perform and open up for Gil Scott Heron because Steve Salem made that happen. After a while, we started uh, making demos on tape cassettes, and we was trying to pitch them out to to hand them in. Sometimes we would go to meetings. And um, Bogart the meetings just so people could hear us. I remember we used to bother Nile Rogers. Mm. Who I'm My, really trying to get on the show right now. I'm really trying we to get could probably, We'll probably make that happen yeah, for yeah. you. And we used to bother him a lot just to try to get a meeting and see if he'd get us a deal. One time we stumbled in on a, a big argument Was thing. Chic Productions? Was it? Yeah, Chic Productions. And he he was, him and Bernard Edwards, may he rest in peace, they they were uh, having a big argument with Sister Sledge at one time. Wow. I refused to work with an artist that had an attitude. I'll never forget when Nal Rogers was saying that. Internets, this portion of the Combat Jack show is brought to you by Bevel the superior shaving system designed for people with coarse, curly hair and sensitive skin. Designed by Tristan Walker. Uh, this is a one-blade shaver. Um, you know, two sides. It's uh, precision. It's, uh, it's so nice and classy. If you haven't yet seen the box, then you're a goddamn troglodyte hiding in a cave because bevel is everywhere right now. Almost every podcast is out there doing bevel ads. I see y'all. And I love it because I am the bevel lord. Combat Jack. I love Bevel. I just gave my, my son when he was going to college a Bevel. I gave my brother-in-law one for Christmas. I tell all my, 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 my women relatives, please, I'll give you the promo code. I can't give all of y'all a free box. I know Tristan, if he could, could send me boxes, but I can't give you all a free box. But I tell everybody, if you have a loved one that shaves and that has had trouble shaving, or if you have young ones that are about to start shaving, don't let them go through the trauma of colonization and all the pain that comes with that savagery, savage shaving, five, six, eight blades. What the fuck is that? Shave with one blade, yo, single blade. Shave like a man. Shave proud. 
I'm saying it's Black History Month, man. Respect your ancestors. Carry on tradition, man. You know what I'm saying? Back in the days, look at those black and white pictures. None of those black men had bumps on their noses and faces. Like, what the fuck is that? Technology? Don't believe in all this sorcery and wickedness. Go to getbevel.com, punch in promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, for 20% off your purchases. You know I fucks with y'all, and I know y'all fucks with me. Go to getbevel.com, promo code COMBAT. Tell them COMBAT sent you. Now back to the show. What happens that Steve noticed that we weren't getting any deals. Our cassettes was being returned. We didn't know later that a lot of them was in a bag because my mother used to hide the, the rejections oh, was, from she was, us. She was protecting you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, my, then Steve said, Yo, you know, guys, you know what I think we should do? I think let's don't concentrate on full force the group. Let's write and produce for like other people. And something just tells me that I think maybe it'll, you guys will get a record deal right. of your own. Which makes a lot of sense because that's but, how a lot of people in the music industry get on. Yeah, but, but y'all were like, fuck that. But I was like, fuck that. This is, this is, full I just force. care about full force. Right. Full force, don't tell me what to do. But, but I was outvoted by everybody else. But see, at that time, there was no group, there was no black group or white group producing and writing for anybody. Right. Like nobody. Right. You had one people maybe producing, Prince produce. Babyface. Babyface, who came after us, actually. Babyface came after you guys. Yeah, he came with, after with us. With Janet and, and Control. Yeah, 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 that was way after, okay. way after us. Because wow. we, we started there. They, they used to look up to us. And I'll never forget when Terry and Jimmy, when we came out, when we produced a song called Alice, I Want You Just For mm -hmm. Me, for us, J Terry and Jimmy loved us and said we were their favorite group. And they used to come to our shows and everything like that. But before that, once we decided to write and produce for other people, the first mainstream Man. artists was Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow. Curtis was this Blow. for his first album? This was, I think, on Ego Trippin'. Okay. The, it was two... Daydreaming. Which, what was the record? We did Party Time. Okay. Party Time. Whoa, it's party, party time. time. We're having a party. party. And somebody else came and kind of redid that. I forgot. Right. It was Lee or some some rapper. Forgive me. But... Um, wow, y'all were on that Curtis Blow record. Curtis Blow record. That was a and, big and, record. And then before that, though, we co that was, was that the one with... Uh, I rule the world. If I yeah yeah, if I rule that, the world, that was a crazy the world. record. Also on that album, which Full Force co-wrote and played on, was Basketball. So you co-wrote Basketball. Did you guys still get your credits? Yeah, are you kidding? Of are course. you serious? Are we still getting checked. You from wrote that? Basketball. Co-wrote. Co-wrote. You don't know anything about no debt, my dude. You don't know no debt, man. I'm still paying more. You wrote Basketball. They, they play that basketball every everywhere. Everywhere. My kids know that record. I know. There's eight people on that record that wrote on there, so we had a certain percentage like of I it. Like I said, man, eight, eight eight people on a hundred million is amazing. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so that was so 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 you get some hits. So we get some hits with Curtis Blow. Now let me tell you something about Curtis. Let me just be honest. Kurt, who we still love today, Minister Minister Curtis. Yes. Um, that brother, even though we was an unknown group. Robert Ford and J.B. Moore, they're the ones that, um, they were our co-producers, but they're the ones that brought us to work with Curtis Blow. Even though we was just a new group, Curtis was so dope. Down to Earth, we even wrote a song for him called Under Fire. We even wrote the raps, and he's like, still did it. He just respected us, and we are like, wow, Curtis Blow. And um, we always give him props, That's man, crazy. all the time. You so know? how did Curtis Blow lead to UTFO? Well, after Curtis, after Curtis Blow, and even we went, on tour with Curtis as well. Yeah. After that, who was my, on that tour? I'm sorry, who was on that tour with you and Curtis? Rick Blow? James, Mary Holy Jane shit. Girls, Midnight Star, 
New edition. Holy shit. I have such a funny story. I don't know if Kurt would wow. be pissed if yeah, I ever just, told he, the story. He don't listen to the show, man. He's, he's, he don't <laughs> listen to secular shit anymore. But 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 here's the thing. With with that show, right? This was when New Edition was first coming out with Candy, Candy Girl. Candy Girl. We was backing up Curtis Blow. We was like, like Jerry was on keyboards. Me and Paul did background vocals for the show. So we were like, that was our first time taking a plane. And what happened was that they told Curtis that he's going to open up. He's like, what? What? Open it up. He said, yeah. And then after you, then New Edition. He said, what? No, they got to open up. And it was like a big argument and everything like that with the promoters. Promoters wanted Kurt to open up. And he said, no, man, they better have some respect. And New Edition, they're supposed to open up. They're just new. But um, it never happened. So uh, it was a so, we, so we were trying to, so Kurt was trying to just stay in the dressing room and let's not even perform. But then we just said, oh, what the heck? Kurt was like, all right, let's just do the show. But they, 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 they got to have respect. So what he did, oh, man. He led us in a chant <laughs> from the dressing room. He led us in a chant. All right, man, we're going to go past the dressing room and we're going to say, punk motherfuckers from Boston. Oh. Punk motherfuckers from Boston. Now us, we're like, but we like New Edition. <laughs> Everybody like New Edition. But we're with Kurt and them. So right. here we were. Punk motherfuckers from Boston. Punk motherfuckers from Boston. And we did it as we walked past the dress room. New edition. They didn't know any. They didn't know they what was kids. going on. They were kids. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that Kurt was mad at them. And, the, and it wasn't them, but the management. Because well, Kurt felt he, they should have opened up because Kurt was rocking anyway before them. But that was so funny back then. But, you know? but, but Lou, it was also the industry mindset. Like I hear so many stories about how all these venues didn't want to showcase hip-hop they wanted to because sh- still hip-hop was still brand new and it was right. still a, a very undesirable genre so i hear so many stories about how new edition in particular opened up a lot of doors for a lot of rappers i even remember how, yeah, like, how yeah, they yeah. opened up the doors for like jam master jam run dmc because everybody had to open up for new edition because rap was like second place new edition loved utfo when right. we came just a step real quick with UTFO my brother B fine he's the one that kind of assembled them Kango Kid he was like the first one and Kango they used to be break dancers and they broke used to be break dancers on some of our shows and Kango kind of told B about Doc about educated rapper Kango kind of brought everybody in right. and made them UTFO right now and was I, Herbie Lovebug involved in this at all no not with utfo okay okay, cool not with utfo and um so they became the group utfo and steve salem we got a deal at select records at the time right for utfo and that was our first big production right our first big production was roxanne roxanne wow which was a b-side right of this song called hanging out right which is what we thought was the was the first single right and what should have been the first single hanging out that's what we felt but what happened is that my brother b woke up one morning and said you know i wanted to just do a b-side to that song you know and b came up with the whole concept of roxanne and it'll be like the three of them educated rapper dr ice and kango is fighting for this one girl and at the end of the day nobody gets the girl right that was b's my brother B finds whole concept. We were singing in the backgrounds because we sang on all their records right. from Fairy Tale Lover Roxanne, to everything. Roxanne. Yeah, that was us. And um and that song, which was just a B side, one day we we're hearing it like in New York. On a rap on rap radio. Red Red Alert was the first one to break that record. Yes. And we called him up. Yo, Red, don't play that. You're, You're playing, playing the, the wrong, wrong song. Yeah. Play the you gotta play hanging out. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Well, uh, well, I like the B-side. No, no, no. 
that's the B side. That's why it's called the B side, right? Mm-hmm. Play the A side. No, no, no. The B side is the A side to me. We got into it a little bit with him. But I like really? the B side. Really? I Y'all got like into the it. the B side. Right. Yeah. And, it was and, a fucking undeniable hit. And the B side is what did it. The rest is history. That was a big. It was, it was hit. huge. It was huge. That was like, did you have any inkling that record was going to be that huge? No, because it was just a B side. But right. my brother B just said, let's do it. And those are one of those things that just happened. And after that became huge, here comes a little brat. Roxanne Shante. Doing Roxanne's Revenge. Using with Molly Mall, with Molly Mall, and they didn't have the chutzpah to create their own track. They just grabbed our track from our record. You can still hear the static in the record, and they did Rock Says Revenge. Man, those were the of, beautiful of, days of sampling. Tracks. Those were the beautiful days of sampling where you could get yeah, away with man. that shit. So then, so then Roxanne comes out, and then it's like the floodgates open. They probably were like twenty five, right? Twenty five. Sparky D came right. out with Sparky's turn defending UTFO and. Uh, Big ups to Sparky D because she's now also a, a, an apostle, a, a minister. Right. And her and Curtis Blow actually presided over Kango Kids' new baby girl. Wow. Because Kango's still still having kids. Right. <laughs> he's, he's Benjamin Buttons. <laughs> and um and um and what happened is that we, we had so many Roxanne Roxanne's dance, Roxanne's doctor, Roxanne's you know groove. Ralph Roll, who's a drummer now. He did a Roxanne's a man. Yeah, Ralph. Ralph was just on the Grammys playing that whole David Bowie yes, uh, tribute. Yes, 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 yes. God bless Ralph. But he did Roxanne's a man, and it was like twenty five answers back then. It was crazy. And then, and then, but you guys had the foresight because in the original Roxanne Roxanne video, there was this beautiful Latina chick that was playing. Roxanne, and we, and we what happened is that when people was doing these answer back records, we said, "Yo, we better jump on our own bandwagon." Right. And that's when we came out with the real Roxanne. And me and my brother B wrote that record, you know, wrote the the raps to that in our living room. And as the let me let me let me step back. The original real Roxanne went by the name of a young lady named Elise Jack. Mm-hmm. She was the original real Roxanne. She's the one that's on that record. Right. Yo, Kango, I'm the real Roxanne, and I rock your world. That was her. The original. At, right. And after that. We got Joanne because we had like a falling Yo, Joanne out. Joanne was so bad. Yeah, jo- and then we brought Joanne as the real Roxanne to take that spot. In the video. In the video. And then Joanne was making records too. She did a dope record called Let's Go Go. And that was I remember like that. I remember top that. 10 yep. in England and yep. Europe. All yep. of us. I remember that. But Joanne was such a fine girl. And Paul met her. She was a waitress. And then Paul said she got a good look. Because see, back in those days... Nobody was doing female rappers to look mm. like feminine. Yeah, Not really. The, I mean, Roxanne Shante was. Yeah, they had uh, this uh, uh, Even uh, even uh, Salt uh, and Pepper. They was with the Dookie chains. We kind of was the first ones to usher in the female, the f- feminist, because Joanne was so fine, and, she, and and even the original Roxanne. And that's when you know everybody starts tapping into the female. See, stuff. this is how old I am. The very first rap show I ever went to. Mm-hmm was featuring the real Roxanne and the Inspector Gadget guys. Right, 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 right. And I was like, yo, for somebody that was, I was just starstruck when she walked in the club. Oh, yeah. She was bad, man. Yeah, and she still is bad, is too. She, she still, she's, what's, she, what's she doing right now? She's still looking great. I know her daughter. She's, um, I think she's still doing music here yeah. and there, but she's um, she's still looking great. And, you how, do you, how do you, how do you, for real, man, like, how do y'all work with all these beautiful women? Like, how, who, who, who's, who's smelling it, man? Who's smelling it? Mm. 
Well, you know, you never get, you never, you know, our, 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 our rule is never, kiss not only tell. never kiss and tell, but you don't get involved with like your artists and really? anything like that. So no. nobody ever broke code and, and smelled it, man? Mm-hmm. Nah. Lisa, Lisa. Ever, ever? Lisa, nah. Lisa. Well, let's get to Lisa. So Lou, man, like, I, like you said, man, I remember back then, man, like the women that were representing rap and this is no shots to them. They weren't cute. And you guys came up with the first attractive female rapper i wouldn't say they weren't cute they weren't cute who was cute no nah, salt and pepper they were cute they were cute but they they, they still did the dookie chains and more but salt, more and pepper, to, but salt and pepper came out after roxanne if i remember correctly right they came after her they came after but even roxanne was cute she wasn't ugly you know what i mean but they they were still portraying they were still portraying like the, the not really. male the male scenario right. yes, thing. Yes, yes, sweet yes, tea yes. all of them but they were still sweet tea was bad i had a, I had, I had, I had a crush girls. on sweet tea yeah but we we brought the whole sex right. the sex symbol type things. And when we did it with Joanne, it was ridiculous. And then after the UTFO, Real Roxanne situation, that's when my brother B-Fine spearheaded a song uh, called I Wonder If I Take You Home. Yes, you wrote that. The song was already written. Right. The song was done. Him and, and Kurt helped out as well. And and then before you know, we was just auditioning girls. to. But my brother B-Fine always wanted a Spanish girl. Wanted a Latina. Why? From the jump. Because... He always felt that was untapped at that time. The Latino doing, market? The Latino market as far as doing R&B and hip-hop, and that's what we wanted. Now, even though they wanted a Latino, I knew there was another young lady around that was a dear friend of mine named Cheryl Pepsi Riley. So I was sneaking the song. Oh, she was supposed to be the... the well, not supposed to be as far you as... You wanted her to be. I wanted her right, to be because right. I fell in love with Cheryl Pepsi Riley when we started working with each other in a low... In, um, in uh, on Fulton Street doing a, a church play right. and she could sing a behind off so I let her hear the demo of I Wonder If I Take You Home because I wanted her to record it and then I would bring it to the fellas and try to dispel the whole don't look for no Puerto Rican or Spanish girls mm. but she she and it's two different stories she claims that she had a group at the time I thought when she heard the song she didn't really like the song right. that much you know Take You Home so that's why I said okay whatever and then that's when we auditioned girls. And when Lisa walked in, Michael Hughes. Oh my God! Who, Michael Hughes, who was a um, who used to work with us, hanging up posters and everything like that. He beca- he became a member of Coat Jam. Right. He was the one that played the drums, and um, he's the one that brought Lisa to us for tr- for a tryout. He br- found her in the Fun House, the, ba- the club oh, she back was then. Dancing in the Fun House, right? And, them bazungas. And he brought her. on some tig old biddies. It was ridiculous. When he brought her, and she was like, what, 16 or 17 years old? You saw how old? you was like, all of y'all was like, mm, how, who's going to smell it first? No, we didn't do that. <laughs> we didn't do that. But one thing about her, she was fine. Right. And we was hoping that she would be able to sing and be able to do this record. But what happened is that she was singing songs, unknown songs, and they just sounded horrible. And I remember laughing to like, I'm like, oh, we're not, she's not going to make it work. But what happened is that she was singing songs that Mike Hughes wrote for oh, her to do. And she was doing it a cappella, and they were just horrendous. And then before we were going about to dismiss her, my brother Paul said, wait a minute, before you leave, Lisa, can you sing something that's more familiar, something that we might have heard of before? And then she sang... For Your Eyes Only, which was a song done years ago by Sheena Easton. Mm-hmm. And she sung it beautiful. That's when we knew that was it James, was. That was a James Bond record, was it? Right, exactly. Wow. And we knew then it wasn't her, but it was Mike Hughes' crappy songs. Mm. When we loved her, and Mike Hughes knew we loved her, Mike Hughes came to us, guys, I'm thinking if y'all like her, like maybe we could make it a group. 
and I'll be a drummer and I can get Al, who's Spanner, the guitar player, and we can make it like Coat and we'll be Coat Jam. And because we came up with the name Lisa Lisa, I think Steve Salem, um, may rest in peace. How about Lisa Lisa? And then B5 said, yeah, Lisa Lisa. And then we brought them together, Lisa Lisa Coat Jam. Now, here's the deal, though. They did a TV Ones Unsung and we did a TV Ones Unsung mm -hmm. and they kind of like Spanador kind of complained a little bit and and they said that it was a mix-up because when we came out with the first record, first album, first song, it was called Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, Jam with Full Force. Full Force. Right. And this is before Full Force had a record deal. Right, 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 right. But my thing is that, yeah, we're going to do that to try to get put on. At that time, no producers was really pushing themselves. We started doing that shit and then Puff Daddy took it to a whole nother level. But we said... With full force, because you got to promote yourself. You guys, right. you guys, you guys so, were, so they were got, amateurs. So, so when we heard on on Unsung Lady, Spanner was talking that shit. Well, he said, he said, yeah, man, people got mixed up, and it's not me saying that. People said it's Cult Jam part of it, or it's Full Force, or it's Full Force Cult Jam, and I think one of the other. He young can't even be mad though, because what kind of name is Spanador? No, Spanador is a good name. <laughs> <laughs> Spanner was a great name, but what, what they didn't know was marketing. We was like ahead of our time right, with that. Right. So we knew what we was doing. And plus, listen, we played mostly all the music on the albums. Right. We wrote the songs. So we felt, let's put ourselves in that spotlight just for the first album. We even put ourselves in the damn video. You better believe that shit. Now, just for the first single and for the first album. Listen, coming with full force. Now, as songwriters and producers, mm -hmm. Talk about how you guys are improving and your your confidence level in terms of that craft and how you start appreciating that side of the business, the writing and the publishing. Side. Right. And I got to admit, I was kind of wrong in the beginning. My brothers and my cousins, they always loved that idea. But once the after I wonder if I take you home, True. we were still rocking with UTFO, you know, because they came out with some hits too, Leader of the Pack, and they had an album out that was called um, Lethal, which was like number two right underneath Michael Jackson's album bad and they was on tour like with new edition mm. new edition loved utfo Everybody went on put tour them on edition. their tour and it was utfo new edition and they were killing you know big shout out to, to mike bivens my boy and um and then we started appreciating the writing right. and then we started writing and then not only getting those checks right because and even though curtis there was six blow, of us curtis blow Curtis Blow from basketball. UTFO. UTFO. That's some checks right now. Lisa Lisa and Coach Jam. Because yep. not only I wonder if I take you home, but then can you feel the beat? Can you feel the beat? All cried out. Which, which was the which, which was a big that was the big crossover huge, record. It was huge. The record company didn't want to release it because they wanted to keep Lisa just doing the dance, dance records. But we wanted like to the be first. They called it Spanish hip hop back then, like the dance type of freestyle. Freestyle, right. Everything like that. But we wanted all cried out. We went one our way. And it became the record that everybody loved. Now, Still me, to this day. Let me ask you, Lou. Like, what was your relationship with these groups? Did you just do the songwriting and the producing, or did you have them sign to your production company? And the reason why I ask you this is because of the type of control you had over the groups. I read somewhere that you know with UTFO, there was a point when Educated Rapper got caught up in drugs, right? And then you guys decided that he was going to be on timeout. Right. Until he got himself together. Like, yep. how do you have that control? Were, were they signed to your production company? Exactly. Oh. And listen, growing up, we were young. So, you know, because a lot of the production deals and stuff like that is like, ah, we would have probably done a lot of things different if we knew. But we were young. We didn't know. But right. we, what we what we knew, what we wanted to do was like, yeah, control. we're going to have control who, who, with these acts. Who but, put that in your head? Was that Steve? Or was that, where did that... 
Because that's how the music industry works. But how did would y'all get that from? Well, that was us and Steve because right. we're saying that we want to be able to have control. So with UTFO, we became their managers also. Okay. But what it is, you could easily said Steve Salem was the only manager. But with Steve, since we did it together, we split it 50-50 wow. as far as management. So, so y'all are getting all the money. Not all, mean, the not money. all the money, but, <laughs> but you y'all, know, y'all are getting a lot of right. money. And, and the song and the songwriting, right? And the songwriting, songwriting, still to this day, thank you, Jesus. And the songwriting really, really did its damn thing because, um, you know, for six people, it, it's, it's crazy to keep splitting it up. But that's what we decided to do in the beginning of our career: right. split everything six ways, and with the songwriting, you know, and production, and um, everything started good. Even though when we were doing Lisa Lisa, we still. During that time of doing Lisa Lisa, we still was producing a a, 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 um, a a sexy white female called Samantha Fox. Samantha Fox, right. And we did big hits with her. Naughty Girls Need Love Too. Mm -hmm. I Want to Have Some Fun. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, we just started writing and producing for a lot of people. We even produced Houdini for the Nightmare of Elm Street wow. soundtrack. We did four songs of that. And then we just started producing like a who's who of people. Right. You know. Now, before, but, we, before we get to that. Lisa Lisa and Cult Jan featuring Full Force opens up the doors for you guys to get your own deal. Right. What was the dynamic in the group, man? Because, I mean, it's family, and you said that there was no boss, even though you was the oldest one. But, like, what was the dynamic? How did it work? Like, how did arguments work? How did you guys come to decisions? Who was kind of like the leader, in a sense? Man, everybody had leader hats. Right. I would say Paul, myself, you know, be fine. Even sometimes the cousins, you know, Kurt. Everybody kind of had their... Their, their chance or their time, you know, basically. But we still worked it as, as a cohesive unit, and we're still together to this day. Right. And we're still performing everything like that. We're still producing this full force. But at six but, of y'all, how do y'all break a tiebreaker? Like, if there's an argument and it's three and three, who's like, fuck yeah, that? The, yeah, majority. Always, if it's three and three. I never remember of it being three and three, but I know a lot of times me and Paul would side a lot, you right. know? So sometimes it used to be the four of them against us sometimes, but... You know, that's just how it is, you know, just uh, just the different ideas. But we still we still had a presence to be even though we was management and control, we still had a presence to always look out for the acts as well and to be up in the record company's face. I mean, it was just such a great thing to to be able to go on tour and say we're on tour with Lisa, Lisa and Cult Jam. And and there there's a promoter. That's that's pissed off at us because Paul did a strip tease act and we came on before Lisa and he says, oh, we're not going to pay you the rest of your money. I told you not to take off your clothes. I told you not to take off your clothes. And he said, he said, oh, you're not going to pay. Me. No, no. So that's it. We're not going to pay. Okay, well, then Lisa, Lisa and Culture is not going to go on. Oh. What? No, yes, they are going to go on. Well, we'll talk to their manager. Well, we're their manager. Mm. Oh, you're a manager? Yeah. Do you know how the record company, Columbia Records at the time, I think they used to be pissed a little bit that we had the control. Of course they were. Because there was six black men. Black Steve men. Salem with us, and he, we was a united front. Right. They used to sometimes try to do that conquer and divide stuff, talking the artist's ear. But Lisa was very loyal back then, and she used to tell us, like, everything. You know what I mean? At least I, w I could Especially imagine. Paul Anthony. In, in, those, in, those, in, the, in the eyes of those oh. white executives, right? Exa white executives. Let me tell you They probably felt that. Okay, we got everything we got out of full force, and they, but now we got this pop hit and this Latina shit. Let's get rid of these Negroes. And Once she turned pop, that's when they really wanted to 
do the conquer and divide thing. Right. I'll never forget for all cried out, me and Paul sang in that record. Right. We were the male leaders. And then when it came down to do the video, we had a big meeting and there we are with the white people and everything, the white execs. So listen guys, so for this video, hmm. we're gonna do all cried out. So we know that you and Paul are singing the male the male parts and songs. So you know you guys will be in the video, but how about if you guys were silhouettes? Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, dude, fuck y'all niggas. <laughs> so we had that control. Right. So we said, y'all better get creative and make this happen. So me and Paul became the voices of Lisa's love interest who was thinking what we were singing. Right, right. So we're still in the video. Don't fucking put us as silhouettes. That's crazy, man. That was hilarious. Was it because know? of your outfits? No, it was because. Or was it because of your race? They just, they, I think they just wanted. Jerry Carroll. No, I just think they wanted to keep of it. Course, of course, poppy. of course, of course, of yeah. course. Because the, the love interest was a white guy. Yes. Lisa's a white yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted to keep it keep like it pop that. all the way. But, um, and because, you know, we it was still around a time when MTV wasn't supporting us and a whole lot. Exactly. Of, um, talk about the outfits, man. Who was your stylist back then? Y'all had some crazy outfits, man. You had pants we, with cards on, around the crotch area, man, and ripped up shirts, man. And then the, 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 the fucking head ties. Like, headbands. Head, my, brother, my brother Paul Anthony used the head the headband king. Y'all look like Prince so, versus Rambo. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> You're right. We was into that eyeliner and shit like that, yeah, but yeah. nobody but nobody fucked with us. Right, right, right. We got all that respect no matter what because we was not, we were no punks and none of shit like that. We were no pussies. Well, did y'all have any friction on, on the road? Did anybody ever kidding? try to test y'all? Just one brother tried to test us. Regular cat or one, some cat that was on the road with y'all? I'm going to tell you right now. We opened up for Cameo on a tour. And when Paul, we do the striptease thing. Yeah. And Paul do the striptease and the women used to go, if you berserk. Because you know, when Paul was stripped down, he'd be in a G-string posing and just like a stripper. And, and what happened is that one of Larry Blackman's assistants came into our dressing room. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, listen, um. Y'all gonna have to stop doing that stripping thing. You really? Know? Yeah. Y'all gotta because they were walking around with the red red cod. They had pieces. the cod, right? But after we finished doing our strip, that cod that, that didn't, cod didn't shit. mean nothing, man. Because it was just a cod. Don't cover your dick, man. Yeah. Let that shit swim. Yeah, yeah. Paul had balls. you know penis and balls just <laughs> protruding, <laughs> all of that shit. Put and this dick just print on just your forehead, just chick. for the ladies. <laughs> and they didn't like that shit, so they they said, "Yeah, way that, before Nicki Minaj, take this way dick print." Before. <laughs> So anyway, I'm we're going to talk about Nicki Minaj. Yes, of course, too. of course. And um, and um, what happened is that uh, Larry Blackman, he said, "Yeah, Larry Black, Larry don't want y'all doing things." So we said, "Well, wait a minute, who 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 said that? Was it Larry? And who the fuck is y'all?" Yeah, and he said, "Yeah, who's that?" Larry he said, "Yeah, Larry." I said, "Well, can we talk to? Because we love Cameo, right?" So, well, can we talk to Larry and let's talk? Let's talk this out and see what's up. And he goes. Back. No, Larry. Larry doesn't talk to the opening act. Oh shit! And then Paul said. <laughs> Oh, really? Is that it? Larry don't talk to the opening act? Okay, so check this out. Tell Larry, fuck him, mm. and let him know that tomorrow night, I'm going to wear purple G-string with sparkles. <laughs> he wore bedazzled fucking... Even though he didn't, but that's what he said he'd do. Stone. That guy went back. They never came back to approach us, but we put, being that we were so Brooklyn, our crew was from our neighborhood because mm. we took our neighborhood with us on tour. And that's how a lot of them learned the ins and out of music. One one brother by the name of Rodney Shealy, we're proud of him. He's a big time executive at Def Jam, you know, and uh, Steve Warren. So we're proud of them. But we told them, listen, y'all stay around them because just in case they try to sabotage us without sound or anything Pull like plug that. Out. Right. And that never happened to us. 
and we did our thing and they never stepped to us but that was like the only type of friction I'd rappers say wouldn't step to y'all oh no nah, they gave us so much respect to nah. man. I take my shirt off total, first total respect <laughs> total respect Paul was before LL he was before that but it's total respect by all the rappers right. we, we could have the Jerry Curls and eyeliner shit but nobody fucked with us man but how did y'all still keep the Jerry Curl I don't know. We just kept the shit. Kept man. it. It was it was part of the trademark. Right, part of the trademark. And the money was. I got coming tired in. of it. Money was coming money, in. Money was That's coming what made us stand out. But thank God, another group came and took our title away. They they did the Jerry Curl to the tenth power, and that was our brothers ready for the world. Ready for thank the you, world. thank you. For, ready for the they world. They had it going all their hair going all the way down to the knees. Were they from Houston? Where were they from? Uh, we was ready for the world from Detroit. Detroit I think they were Michigan. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But good so, brothers though. So the the music is coming out right now. You guys are touring. How did you guys end up in Crush Groove, the movie, the, the classic movie Crush Groove? Well, what happened because of our persona, right. um, they wanted my brother, my my two brothers, they to be in it. I was like so pissed because well, why didn't he make it three? You know, and um, why would you always get left out, man? It was just that first movie, okay. You know, but I got my revenge right. afterwards. Right. But Crush Groove, my two brothers were in it. They was only in two scenes. Right. But just because of their persona, because my brother still had the, the ripped shirt They were the guys that were shaking down Blair Underwood. Blair Underwood. was a fake Russell Simmons and, and, at the time. Exactly. Right. And even beat down Run. And even though they were just in two short scenes, their persona, the full force persona, overshadowed a lot of stuff. Right. Just two scenes. And um, Crush Groove was a good movie. That's when we became great friends with Blair Underwood still to this day. Right, right, right. And... Um, but after Crush Groove, even though I was a little jealous when I went to see the premiere, I still loved those of my brothers, and they rocked it. You know what I mean? I gave it up. But um, but even flashback a little bit, just to let you know. So in our, the full force stable of acts, we had UTFO, Real Roxanne, and Howie T. Got to give it up for Hitman yes. Howie T. Hitman DJ Howie T. Hitman Howie T. Co-wrote Pioneer. Alice for us because he yes. did he did the beat. He's the one that created that beat of Alice. I want you just for me. So we want to give him that was his a big props. Record, man. Yeah, yeah, it's big record right. for us. And um. And then after those acts, then Shell Pepsi Riley. Right, and I want to get to that. I want to get to that. Okay. I want to get to that in yeah. a second. What was Crush that? Groove was, was, was our first movie, so that was great. Your live show was so crazy, man. What right. the fuck was the Alice Sandwich? Oh, yeah, man. That was something. Alice Sandwich would be, we'd invite a young lady up on stage, and then we would, we would you know. You hear I about would, this, King? I'm listening now. You got to see the video of the Alice Sandwich, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll you can you, do I'll that. You right now, you can YouTube. do that. I don't think you can do that on stage right now. I don't like know. They, they, they arrest an Akon and shit for shit like that. You <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can never do that you now. Can't do that now. And but, people suing you yeah, for yeah. money back then. That should so be on harmless. YouTube. But anyway, humping or something. No, no, no. no. What happened? What happened was that uh, I would have a young lady come to me, right? I said, "Baby, I can't wait to kiss those juicy lips." And we would always have a female come on stage every show while we was doing Alice. Said, I can't wait to kiss those juicy lips. And I would say, "Come on over here," and she would come. And I would hug her. Around her waist. Right, around her waist. I'm hugging her here. My brother Paul Anthony would come in back of her and tap her on the back. She'd turn around. He grabbed her over there. And he would take her hand and put it on his ass. And the place used to go crazy. And then, and then what I did, since I'm back here, I went and I hugged her from the back. And then he picked both of us up. And we were the Alice Sandwich in midair. Because he was pumping up from the bottom. He was pumping up yo, from the back. And in midair, you see legs dangling, flapping. And it was out. And the place used to go nuts. Yo, yo, Lou. <laughs> let's get a little personal now. You were married back then. Yes, I was married. How, how old were you when you got married? I think I was like 
20. You were 21. Tw- this is before shit my, started popping. This is before right? stuff popping. <laughs> What's Nick? My, she what? Did she come on the road? No. A couple of times. A couple of times. You know, my, my ex-wife, right. she's a sweetheart. Right. But see, did, back... Did, did the road get in the way? Did the, did the industry get in the way of everything? No, man? because here's the deal. The, I mean, you're lucky, you're lucky we didn't have Twitter or Instagram because that Alice Sandwich, the minute that shit hit her, right while the show was going on, nigga. Been crazy. You getting been papers crazy. facts to you. It was a lot of temptations and right. stuff because it was women like everywhere. Grabbing but, the dick. But out, of, but out of everybody in the group of Full Force... Me, I just always would retreat back to my room with my Bible, and I would just sit in my room by myself and just chill. I don't, now, the rest of the guys, I don't they went crazy. I, Bible, let me tell you a story about my I don't, brother. I don't believe, no, don't let me tell you a story Lou, about my brother Paul Anthony. Wait, listen. You never succumb to... You never succumb to... No. I shall not walk. No, no, no. But here's the or, deal. Or, or, or you can't say because the legalities or anything. No, no, no. I'm being very honest. I was very innocent back then, oh, you know, and I didn't, I didn't do and none of that. You stuff. guys didn't drink or do drugs, right? No, we didn't do any of that. You guys were straight edges. We were straight. Where did we that come was. from, man? That was from our upbringing, all right. of our upbringing, our parents. You know what I mean? And we never knocked anybody else that did it, right? You know, but it was like everybody still gave us respect. Nobody like smoked in front of us or anything like that. So to this day, you never smoked and At, no. I mean, I tr- I tried it in college and okay, stuff right, like right. that. You know, but um, I never Yo, really in, in the eighties. I never man, indulged in all weeds. that good cocaine. Oh, man. You missed all that good <laughs> cocaine. You used to do cocaine, man? In the, no. Who didn't do, who didn't did do cocaine? cocaine in the 80s? He wasn't even... Was, yo, I'm saying, listen. But did I, you do cocaine, period, Jack? In the 80s. You did cocaine a lot? In the, Not a lot, but it was everywhere. Oh, wait. I see some powder you by like your you, nose you right like, now. You sound like you missed that shit. Yeah, who doesn't miss I don't know, cocaine man. from the 80s? Dude, Internets, I like I tell of, you. Yo. Here's my public service announcement. <laughs> cocaine was hot in the 80s. Jack did that so you wouldn't have to go through that. <laughs> yeah. Yo, you miss all that. Ah! On, on, anyway, so you're on the road, you're doing all of this shit, man. Um, well, let me say something about yes. Paul Anthony because yes. he don't care about telling the story. Okay. So, so Paul used to always have the white head, <laughs> white headband with mm-hmm. the thing, and it always stood out. Mm-hmm. So whenever we were on the road, and there's so tons of women, not only for full force, but for like all the damn acts. Right, right, right. right. But Paul always wore a headband, so the next morning, whenever you if you see a young lady wearing a headband, she got marked by the beast, right. and sometimes two, uh, sometimes uh, three. She was marked the by headband. the beast. It's fucking Paul. It's fucking Paul. And his nickname on the road was called Rabbit. This <laughs> his oh, nickname. Man. My brother Paul. It was something. I mean, listen. You're supposed to enjoy yourself, especially when you work. Yeah, but that you got to just be careful and stuff like that. Were but, there um, bad incidents, man? Any chicks like like, oh, I'm suing this and that because you know that nah. shit was rampant too. No, nah, no, nah, n- not with us. I mean, we had one young lady that was like following us like all over the place and stalker. Cops was trying to track her down. It's baby Jerry actually, a, a, a girl chasing after him through from town to town, state to state. And the white girls was probably oh, wild. Man, white girls. That's the uh, shit that would get you in trouble. Sloppy. And I love my black Stop women, me. but I'm not prejudiced, right. you know. Listen. And the Asians, everything is warm when the night when the lights are off. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but I just but you was hugging that Bible. But so. I just would look right. He's hugging that Bible on the chest. Oh man! <laughs> but um, so but this interesting happened thing happened though, man. You had gone through some complications with your lady, um, with regard to um trying to have a baby. 
My wife at the time. Yeah, your lady. And then you got you you it was so personal to you that you wrote a song. Right. Called Thanks for My Child. Mm-hmm. And then and then that became a hit. How did that become a hit? Number one smash. I'm I remember proud, all proud of that song to this day. The sisters in the hood used to sing this song. That was a hood rat anthem. Yeah, no man. no disrespect to the women out there that sang it, but that was a hood rat anthem. Let's talk about how that blew up, man. Well, the, that that song was um when I came back from the road and found out my wife had a at the time, had a miscarriage. Right. I went to the hospital, and there she was laid out in the hospital bed like she'd been through World War III. Um, her name is Sherry. You know, shout out to her because we're still friends to this day. And I have two beautiful kids by her, Lou Star, which we'll talk about a little mm-hmm. bit too, and uh, Lakaya. But um, she, uh, as she was, we had the thing. I, you, you could hear other babies being born. You know what I mean? Oh, being born. Which is so painful. Yeah, and, and um, so that coupled with that, and then I had a lot of female friends, especially a friend of mine that um, she had a baby and then the man like ran out on her. And so I coupled that and I came up with the thanks for my child. And I wrote it from scratch with no music. I just wrote it. And then baby Jerry. Which was r- rare for you. You would usually write to music. We did we did everything. Okay. We did everything. Right, Sometimes right. you write things from scratch with no music. Sometimes the music would come first. But I wrote the song first and then baby Jerry did the, the did the music to that the keyboards and stuff like that then the whole band did the, the playing and everything and i gave it then i i seeked out my friend Cheryl Pepsi Riley who um i always was in love with she's you know she's such a dope singer and um i got her to do the song and we got her a record deal just off of being that we was already established right. already got Sony Records, right. yeah, they just said, yeah, you can have, you can sign her. And I was so proud I was able to sign her. And the first record, Out of the Block, Thanks for My Child, and it was a number one smash. And I wrote it, and I felt so proud of it because a lot of people thought she wrote it. This is one record you didn't have to split six ways. No, we still split it six okay. ways. It's still said written by Full really? Force. Even though when the record went number one and it says Full Force, in my mind, I'm like, damn, I wrote that book myself. So you guys kept that six ways You split. guys were loyal and honored that agreement six and still did that ever to this cause day any tension like like after, like, like after my dude, wise, you you don't write nothing <laughs> right do you just tinker with the, the the drums i'm not calling anybody but you don't write nothing how are you getting a sixth of this well you know why million dollar check but but see everybody in the group everybody in the group writes right. that's the thing right everybody in the group writes you know me and kurt we wrote I'm real for James Brown. Right. Paul did static. Baby Jerry would do um, the Samantha Fox songs with me. Be Fine would do the Lisa Lost in Emotion. So everybody had their turn, you know, to write. So we said, we're just going to split it six ways. That's smart, though, because that's, a, that's the old school ethic mm-hmm. of songwriting. It's like if you're in the studio, if you come up, even if you come up with like half a hook, you're right. getting a piece of this. Right. Whereas, whereas now... It's so territorial. And I remember we had Chuck D on the show, man. He said, back then, man, the concept was we, and now the concept is me. Right. Which is which is crazy. Man. Yeah, it was always we. Yo, one for all and all for one. Which is dope, man. Let, let's go to a quick break. Internet, you tuned into the Combat Jack show. We got the legendary bow-legged Lou from Full Force in the building. Brooklyn, Crown Heights, your F your radio, TV show, and podcast, combatjackshow.com. The website is kind of, you know, in its infantile stages. Complain to Jonathan Mena, we'll be back. Hey, yo, Internet, I want to take a pause from the Combat Jack Show to talk to you about Viceland, a new TV channel from Vice that debuts on February 29th. They're rolling out a lot of very cool programs, including a show called Weedikit, hosted by Vice correspondent Krishna Andavulu. I hope I'm saying that right. Anyway, this show explores the new weed culture that's sweeping this country. They've also got a show called Noisy, 
which explores music scenes across the world. I fucks with Noisy the site, so I'll definitely be on the lookout for the show too. But the Viceland show that I'm really going to be fucking with heavy is called Fuck. That's delicious. Hosted by none other than our homeboy Action Bronson. That's right. Action has his own food show on Vice. And even better yet, it co-stars another good brother of the Combat Jack show, Mayhem Loren, along with legendary producer Alchemist and Big Body Best. You got to understand, this is very special to me because the Combat Jack show was the first platform ever that Action Bronson appeared on years ago. So this is pretty much a family affair for us. The show looks exactly like what an Action Bronson food show should be. Action smokes mad weed and goes out to eat with Mayhem, Alchemist, and Big Body Best at various delicious spots around the globe. Exotic places, grimy places, modern places, primitive places. Plus, they seem to ride a lot of ATVs and motorboats, too. And they smoke more weed. We got to make sure Action comes back on the Combat Jack show, Mena, so he can tell us more about this show because it looks wild. Think Anthony Bourdain if he was half Albanian and a rapper from Queens with a much slower metabolism. It's pretty much the food show that they can't put on cable TV. So be sure to fuck with Fuck That's Delicious on Viceland TV when it debuts on February 29th. I went on Vice.com and it looks like the network is going to be carried on Dish. DTV, AT&T, and Verizon, plus a lot of other carriers. So as they say, check your local listings to find out when it's on your cable platform. And salutes to Action, Mayhem, Alchemist, and Bess. Looks like they got a hit on their hands with, fuck, that's delicious. And now back to our show. Internets, you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, combatjackshow.com. We got Bowlegged Lou in the building. We're talking about hit making. We're talking about tours. We're talking about the... You know, just like the infant stages of the industry that we know today, man. Listen, you guys became so phenomenally known as songwriters, hit makers, producers, that at the time, the industry tapped y'all to really work with, like, the godfather of soul, James Brown. Yeah, man. Talk about that, man. I'll never forget Johnny Musso from Scotty Brothers Records. Mm -hmm. They called me. and um, You guys grew up on James Brown. Are you kidding? Please. Yeah, we love James Brown. Idolize him, everything, just like everybody else did, you know. So when they called me, they said, yeah, listen, um, my name is uh, Johnny Musso, and one of the guys, head of Scotty Brothers, and we would like to know if you guys would like to produce an album on The Godfather of Soul. Not produce a song, just to produce an album. Okay. Now, I'm like, who produces James Brown? But at that time, Dan Hartman produced living in america mm -hmm. which was actually mr brown's first crossover hit that was a big record you know on the whole pop the, side it, as was well. on, it was a rocky and rocky I, soundtrack too. yeah like and Club, i think Club he, and he won a, i think he won a grammy for that as well not not was it the first i don't know one one of the rocky ones yeah four grammys living in america right and um rocky four, rocky four i'm sorry rocky four yeah and it was a smash for him and then afterwards i guess they wanted him to get get black so they asked you know produce james Brown. i couldn't believe my ears really you want to produce, yeah, like and the, the whole album. The concept was weird because this is when hip hop was, had really taken a foothold, and hip hop you had all these cats sampling James, James Brown. Brown. That was the and, time. And, and the doing concept it. you guys had was like, let's do a James Brown album with James Brown, where we sample James Brown. Right, exactly. You know, and I never forget. That's how I met Questlove. Questlove hit me up on social media, and he just started asking questions. Well, how did Mr. Brown feel when you guys sampled? 
you know, funky drummer on <laughs> song and stuff like that. You know, how did he feel? He felt great because it was him, right? And he got writing credit and everything, so Damn. it was all good, you know. But when they asked us to produce James Brown, I went to the guys. I said, guys, they want us to produce James Brown. I remember Shy Shy jumping into my arms like, oh, get out of here! We couldn't believe it. So when it came time to do the album. We started hearing stories that he's a tyrant in the studio and he's mean and mm -hmm. all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, all right, let me try to get somebody that would know. And that's when I got the number of Dan Harmon. Right. May he rest in peace. Dan Harmon at the time used to have records on himself, like instant replay, mm -hmm. dance records. and um, Big records. And I spoke to him and I said, Mr. Harmon, Dan, I said, Dan, James Brown, how do we approach it? Is he mean in the studio? I mean, James Brown, we want to, we're getting ready to produce the album. He said, well, first of all, don't call him James. You, you call him James. You call him Mr. Brown. Mm. And we always call him Mr. Brown, even to this day. May he rest in peace. So you call him Mr. Brown, okay? And that's how that is. And and then we started hearing all kinds of stuff. He said, and another thing, if his wife is in the studio. Look on the floor. Look, look right. Don't look at her. Yeah. Don't look at her. I'll give you an example. He was in the studio one time. I wasn't even looking at her. And he just stopped the whole session. Wait a minute. Dan. Hey, Dan. Uh, you just looking at my wife. No, Mr. Brown, I was not. For real? No, Mr. Brown, I wasn't looking at your wife. He was really like that. Yeah, you was looking at my wife, Dan. No, Mr. Brown, I wasn't looking at my wife. And then Dan Hartman told me, now, Lou, listen, I'm gay, right? Why would I be looking at his wife? And then in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, Dan Hartman's gay. And he said, and I have nothing against gay people, but that was funny when he did that. He said, yeah, man, so be careful with that. So we just got a lot of do's and don'ts. So when it came time for us to meet him for the very first time, and the intercom said, Mr. Brown is here, we're like, oh, shit. Paul, go go greet him. Because we were in awe, man. And Paul was even in a little awe, too. Because nobody puts us in awe. But with Mr. Brown, we was in awe. And Paul was the first one like to kind of step to him. And Mr. Brown came with like a like double-breasted suit, ascot hat. Clean. Yeah, it was cr just to record. It was crazy. His hair. And, and before and after every session, he'd have a guy come and comb his quaff comb it and hook it up right before we start and then even after before we leave and he was like royalty reverend al sharpton every time reverend al sharpton would come to the studio we knew we we're gonna have a long break because they would talk and mr brown reverend al he one time he was wearing um red shades hey reverend al i'm wearing red shades but i'm seeing blue mm. he would always give these little blue, blue these blue, little talks because this was the time when mr brown was going through the stuff like with the car chases. Yes. We was working with him during all of that. PCP. Yeah, all that. We was working with him. And um, that's when Eddie Murphy used to see us places. Yo, man, y'all fucked up James Brown. <laughs> Full force fucked up James Brown. And we that, did. That became, a, that, became, you know? that became the rumor that you guys fucked. Was, no, that was not rumor. No, was, you just brought that up, no, Jack. I'm, I'm saying, like, y'all didn't do PCP. Y'all gave it to him. <laughs> Yeah. Full force, niggas. No, but but how? But was he a tyrant? Was he? But he was cool. Nah, okay. nah, he was not. He was cool with us. Just sometimes certain things, it would just be kind of out there. We never told the press about it because we loved them of so course, much. Of but but we was there for two months and we got a great album. And his last two top ten records or two f top ten five records in his career was produced by us. I'm real went to number two, and Static went to number five. Right, and um. It was all good. It was all gravy, really. So, how do y'all get the house party, man, and, and kid and play in that whole phenomenon? Because that was a big movie, man. 
the and other, Hudlin Brothers. Yeah, still Kid to this day. At their hype. At their, at their hype. Too hype. No yeah, pun intended. 25th anniversary of House Party still wow. to this day. Wow. And it's a classic. People that wasn't born when House Party came out love the movie. Young people because they play it so much. Still today, I'm still, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. Like still today. <laughs> it's like, who knew that those would be some classic lines or who knew it would be a classic movie. But what happened is that my brother Paul got a phone call from Robert Ford, who, used, who was co-producing us back then on the Full Force first album days. And he, and he said, hey, Paul, I want you to call Reggie Hudlin mm -hmm. because... You know, you guys might want, you know, could be in a movie. Now, at the time, the three of us used to do little plays just in our house. I used to write them. And you were a theater major, right? I'm a theater major, you, you know. You really wanted to act. I love like, acting. Acting is your first love. It's first love, even wow. before music. But, wow. I, but I love them both hand in hand. But but Paul was like talking to Reggie Hudlin. So what happens is that they sent us a script. And Reggie Hudlin wanted to, you know, us to play like the three thugs. Because mm -hmm. he also got I know, inspired by Crush Groove with my two brothers. But this time it's three of us, which I was happy about. But in the script, the original script, it described the the bullies, three bullies. Says so and so gets accosted by three bullies with bowling ball muscles and jerry curls. Somebody like full force. Ah. So when Robert Ford read that, Robert Ford said, "Reggie, why, why, don't, you, why don't you just get full force? Right. Do you know them? Yeah." And he called Paul. Then Paul talked to me and B. And then we wow. met the Hudlin brothers and we auditioned for them by doing improvisation. Right. Being that the three of us was doing it since we were little, our chemistry was the shit. Right. You know what I mean? And um, They didn't have to train three nah, individuals. Nah, man, we separate. rocked that audition and we got the part right there, on, right there, on the, right there on, the, on the spot. And when it came time for us to do readings at the table with Martin Lawrence, everybody was unknown Martin, at that Martin time except us, and Kid and, except us and Kid and Play Martin really Lawrence, on the music. Yo. Martin Lawrence... Uh, Daryl Chill Mitchell, who's we just love him, and uh, Tisha Campbell, Tisha Campbell my girl, right. AJ, John Witherspoon. It was like Stars was created from that movie. But what happened is that in the script, I just didn't like how our parts were. Our parts basically didn't have any personality. Right. It was like like how my two brothers did Crush Groove, just thugs and bullies, and we grunt and groan, and then we get it on out of there. So I told my brothers when we was practicing one day, I said, guys. Let me, I want. I want. Let's rewrite one of the. I'm gonna rewrite one of these scenes. Cause remember, when we were younger, I used to write the plays for the three of us. Right. I said, let me rewrite one of the scenes, and like one of my brothers, nah, man, leave well enough alone. But at the time, my brother B Fine, his character was the name Pee Wee. I said, B, you become. I'll give you my name, Zilla. You're Zilla. I'm Pee Wee. I'm right. the smallest out of the bunch, anyway. And let's do that. Let me write it, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk like this throughout the whole movie. I'm going to talk like this. And my brother B said, what? Don't do that, man. I said, no, let me try it. And and what happens is that I wrote, I rewrote a whole scene. And I said, listen, if the Hudlin brothers don't like it, we go back to the we'll original. go back to the corny okay. shit. You know? <laughs> so, so I think it was uh, the scene with the burning house, you know? I'm not, I was talking about kicking some ass, not burning people up. So I wrote that. And my brothers, so we had the Hudlin brothers come to our trailer. And we said, guys, we just want to change one scene. Tell me what you think about it. Now, directors are usually not cool with that. At that time, no. But Reggie was too cool with right, that. Right. He wanted people to do Contribute their thing. And, 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 and After we started doing our own thing, then Kid and Play started doing their own uh, thing. They made up a part when we said, yeah, man, we would like to come out there, you know, 
but you know, and we might be like pussies, but but y'all are a bunch of dicks. You know, that was their creation <laughs> because we was doing our shit. We right. were doing our thing because after the first, after when we changed the first scene and the Hudlin brothers came to our trailer and they saw us acting it out and me talking to the voice, kick your fucking ass, I smell, I smell, I smell pussy, which is something I used to do in the studio whenever a female artist, whether it's Latoya, uh -huh. Samantha, Lisa uh -huh. would come by. I so said, guys, really I smell something, I smell something, uh -huh. I smell, but I would only say it by myself. Because you, really, like, you really ended up smelling it. You ended up smelling it. Lou was the smeller. You know, I smell like Lisa, Lisa. But, but what happens is that they, when, the, when the Hudlin brothers saw what we did, right. Warrington Hudlin said, keep it. Mm. And Reggie said, that's the shit, keep it. After that, I started looking for all of our other scenes and I changed all of them. And, and my brother started changing some stuff too. And the Hudlin brothers was always open. If we did some shit that was whack, they would pull our coats. But we would, every time we'd come up with something, they would say, man, this is dope. The lunchroom scene when my brother B is punching kid and Paul's holding the kid up and he's punching, I'm in the back. Go, 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 go. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. <laughs> that was just improv right, right there right, on the right. set. Wow. And I remember when I was doing it, everybody started cracking up. So we was having a blast. I couldn't wait to, to do these different scenes. And everybody was looking forward to see what shit we would come up with, you know? The, the Hudlins at the time was still relatively unknown, man. Did you know that? That was movie, their first joint. Did you know that movie was going to be such a big and smash? We, we didn't know it was going to be such a smash. And when we went to test screenings and people was cracking up, it was ridiculous. At a time, it was so crazy. Almost anywhere we went, and especially if the three of us was together, it was ridiculous. Ridiculous. I used, I remember going to after Housewives was big. I remember going to Madison Square Garden. Tony Braxton was appearing, and they said, "Lou, you want to introduce?" Her? I said, "Yeah, let me introduce her." And I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, okay, we're going to introduce Tony Braxton." And you know what she's going? She's going to kick some fucking ass. And the whole Madison Square Garden went crazy. That's crazy, like, man. Because, wow. you know, doing that part, I told my brothers, I want to do like a, a like a catchphrase, and I think it'll a catch tagline, on. Tagline, yeah. And, and I really was inspired by Joe Pesci, because mm. Joe Pesci, when he did Lethal Weapon, he would go, okay, 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 okay. And I'm like, let me do some shit. And then I said, mm -hmm. I'm going to kick your fucking ass. And it's the way I said it. And everybody, because even all the comedians like Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall and Chris Tucker... They would give me props like crazy. For, for your comedic timing. Yeah. Your, your, your Hall comedic perspective. Comedic timing. Arsenio Hall sent me a card from the Arsenio Hall show. And he said, you are definitely musically talented, but you also have great comedic timing. I got that shit right in my wall. That's like, crazy, Arsenio man. Hall. That's crazy. So for all these comics, you know, deal hugely to give the, the props like that meant a lot you know? yeah, how are you not out of control man at this time are you out of control man are you like don't tell me shit i'm a genius are you on oh, your no, kanye no, no. shit nah 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 are you on like yo i'm better than fucking nah 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 you know I'm stanley modest, kubrick <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> stanley kubrick you, you aren't losing Black your mind orange you nah okay none, none so, so down to earth so house party comes out the, the, the 80s run through you're in the 90s now and then full force like every great empire starts losing steam Right. right. And you're not getting these, you're not, you're not out there on these big tours anymore. How are you feeling when things start slowing down? And the jobs was getting hard and scarce. And every time we'd have a meeting with black executive, just stuff wasn't rocking. They, they, were they the ones that were like, you guys are played out? Because, you know, sometimes we're, 
very quick to say when the phones we're, we're wasn't not, lighting up like it used to. They weren't getting a few jobs, right, you know, because right. at one time we were just popping all over the place. Then was, things started slowing down, like it does with everybody. How are you dealing with that at the time? And we're kind of like like down and out. Right. But we we never like going to commit suicide, not right. like that, because we always believe you know once a hit, always a threat. Right. And um, we figured it would come back around. And I how, never, how long was that dry spell, man? Let me see, ninety house party, ain't my type of hype. I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like f- four years. Four years go by, but but we were still doing records like with Jasmine Guy, Try right. Me, which was a top ten hit right. for her, and and I, oh Jasmine, and uh, mm. and uh, at the time, how that, how that you know, no, nah, she was a sweetheart, and she's still a sweetheart to like this day. Cherries and honey. <laughs> So, 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 honeysuckle and green tea. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Mandarin Blossom, Larry's. But, um, so what happens that I say, let me have a meeting with Barry Weiss over at Jive Jive Records. Because Jive was known as this hip hop label, like KRS One, Boogie Down Productions. But they were doing Samantha Fox. They they started Tribe Called Quest and then they started Too Short, of course. And they started changing up. And when I met with Barry Weiss, I said, Barry, you got any white people we could do? Because even though mm. the black side of things, we was just doing all these black artists, which was good. And money was cool for publishing and stuff like that. But R&B, you said, was, kind of, was, was R&B changing too? Yeah, and R&B actually, was changing. Me, get, Gangster me, rap started coming let me, in let me, also. Let me go back to a second, man. Let me, let me go back for a second. People argue, man, that your sound, the full force sound at the, hype of, at the top of the full force hype, was the ones that really created the New Jack swing. Well, I would say Havelock Nelson, who used to write for Billboard magazine, when Alice came out, Mm -hmm. he always looked at that as the first New Jack swing record. It just wasn't called New Jack swing. Teddy, you know, he... Teddy Riley. He looked up to us, too. And we mutually respected him as well. And still to this day, we got a great respect. So we just did that one record... The way it is, but Havelock Nelson, a journalist at the time, even though when Teddy started coming out and stuff, he said, "Yo, man, I don't care." Alice was the first New Jack Swing record, and you know, back in those days, we had a song called "Unselfish Lover" on the mm-hmm. album where we sampled um, um, Big Beat, Billy Squire, oh, because at the time nobody sampled any of those dope hip hop loops like no the break records. They didn't. They didn't nobody did break beats except right. us because right. we did a song called "Let's Let's Let's Dance Against the Wall." We sampled Apache, mm. and we started doing the sampling before anybody really started doing that of known shit. Right. You know what I mean? So um, so Teddy wears the mantle of New Jack Swing because he took it to a whole nother level. Yeah. We just did Alice and did the thing. You made it then, a hot line. He made it a hot song. Right, right. right, right. And, uh, <laughs> and he did his damn thing. You know? So fast forward now, man. It's like 94. You're sitting in, the, in, the, in, oh, yeah. in, in sitting with, with, with Barry Weiss, mm-hmm. a, a jive, a we, jive records. Get, black people don't want us give us give us no money anymore. Right? Can we right. get some white money? Right. And then he says to you, and he says, "Well, you know what? I think I might. We might have an act that you guys might be interested a in. Brand Did new you, act. Yeah, brand new act that nobody knew. He showed me a video of the Backstreet Boys. Brand new. And the song was called "Quit Playing Games with My Heart." Right. They were big. They were growing big in Europe. Right. But nobody knew them here in the United States. And he said, listen, they're popping big in Europe. We're getting ready to do an album in the United States. And um, I think, you know, show the guys and see what what you come up with. So you guys write All I Have to Give. 
what happened with that is that after I took the the video to the guys to see the Backstreet Boys, I said, yo, we got to get on this album, man, and make some of this white money. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm saying, because there's six of us here. It's six of us, and we're splitting everything six ways. And shit is dry. Shit, and, is, <laughs> shit ain't sweet right now. We played out, Yeah, man. now we're talking about, well, B's like, I wrote, I wonder if I take you on. Well, shit, I wrote head to toe. Now y'all are fighting. I fucking wrote thanks for my child. No, we're not fighting, but you got, yeah, we make jokes about ten, it. There's tension right now. Well, not really. Ribs is touching a little bit. No, not really. It's more tension that we couldn't come up with a hit anymore. Right. Like like big shit. So when I took that video and showed it to them with the Backstreet Boys, Baby Jerry stood up and he said, Yo, Lou, man, I got an idea that might be good for them. I was toying around with it. And Jerry started singing, But my love is all I have to give. Without you, I think. And when he sung that, I remember kissing him on the cheek. I said, Jerry, that's a fucking smash. Yeah. That was 30 million records Can I hold later. Something? Listen. Can I hold 30 something? million records later. Damn. Albums. 30 million. million. And that song was one of their biggest records because that was like a triple that was a like a triple platinum single. And then on a their biggest album ever to this date, which sold over 30 million. After that, then we started doing in sync with Justin Timberlake in sync Britney Spears 30 million 30 LF, million sold LFO Britney on. Spears all of them and I'll never forget Funkmaster Flex on the air with uh, Method Man and they're like yo man you know who's doing all this because nobody was doing the teen pop thing before Backstreet Boys years before that was New Kids on the Block when right. we restart but after that it was nobody and then once the Backstreet Boys and in sync and Britney, Britney. And, and then, and then Funkmaster Flex said yo man you know who's doing all that stuff Full force. Now at that time we, we just no, fell off. Five, right, and at the time we just finished doing house party and all of that stuff. I said, wait, your full force doing that? Everybody started being sh stunned and shocked. How them phones that started we, lighting up again? That we were the. Are you kidding? Them phones really, started lighting up again. You like you like sorry you don't take black money anymore. And check this. I'm sorry, black man. No, <laughs> no, they, no, black man. And, no black exec. And to split up that white money, that publishing, yeah. those publish, those publishing checks. Oof. Oh my god! A whole nother thing because it was all over the world. Yes. You know what I mean? And I'll never forget when we went when we started. We were like the only black faces in Orlando, Florida, because that's when they were coming out with all the boy bands. And we was there as the main one of the main producers doing Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and all that because they was under the same management. Right. And we were the only blacks. We was having a Ball. Who administered your publishing? Who what? Who administered your it was Zamba? Wow. Well, you Zamba. Had a, you had a publishing and that's Jive. Wait, did you, did you have and a Wait, hold up? Did you have a publishing deal or an administration? We had a deal? we had a Publ publishing, publishing deal and an administrative okay. deal with Jive because they gave such a nice advance. Oh my god! And and, and see this smart different different tax bracket type of check. Yes, different <laughs> tax bracket. How did your life change, man? Like you, like yo, no more curls. No and more, is, no more ripped up is, shirts. And this was about the time when I was just having getting my divorce. Mm. Oh my god! When oh, things did she started, get that? You no, no, sniffing no. all oh, types. She didn't, of... she didn't get that. No, she's a sweetheart. But I took care of her regardless. Right, right. She's a sweetheart, and we're still friends to this day. But you had Patty that, Pie before Patty Pie. That changed. That really changed <laughs> our lives and in, it, in a great way. Isn't it crazy? After the hype, is when your music goes to the next level, man. Yeah, man. And and. I, I just can't explain it. it was, I remember one time. Uh, the I know you was boys, hugging that Bible tighter. I remember the. I remember the Backstreet Boys going through that divorce <laughs> and that bed sweating on that Bible tighter. I remember the Backstreet Boys <laughs> was coming out on stage, and me and Paul was out in the lobby, and hey, everybody was getting ready for the Backstreet Boys, and the white people screaming, and Paul's like, "Yo, Lou, man, 
we're getting ready to come on stage. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and as he leave, I'm like, we're getting ready to come on stage. But that's how shit changed. Mm. And we've never saw the fruits until working with, with the white groups. And it's so funny because when we would be in Florida in the, the house that all of the all of them was in. How big was that audience, man? It, oh, it was ridiculous. It was, and it was all over the world. Oh Are you kidding? God. You so traveled we, the world with them. No, not with them, but right. we would we would be invited to a lot of different shows. Sometimes right. they bring us out on stage, and we would just love. They'd always give us shout outs. And when Holy we when God. we would be when we would be in the studio compound, doing the white things, whenever we'd see like a black face walk in there. They might look like their producer. We would huddle amongst ourselves. Oh, who the fuck is that? Uh oh, <laughs> who's that? Nah, nah divide and conquer. Don't let fuck? that nigga buy us. Yeah, this is our money. But then we, everybody what, else started getting into what, it. Who, it was who, all good. What faces were you seeing, man? Timberland. No, 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 Diddy. no, no, no. We saw like a lot of unknown black faces, right. but we, just the fact that we saw other black faces, you knew that you fucked knew with that, us because we were the only blacks. <laughs> <laughs> we should only be the only yeah. blacks. Keep it black. <laughs> you know. Yo, that's beautiful, man. It's crazy. Um, how did it feel, man, like being part of this machine, like in this generation, or at least the generation before, giving all these white acts the black sound, man? Mm. It felt great. And it wasn't, I wouldn't call it the black sound, but I call it the pop sound with some soul to it. Right. Because we still kept it like that. But it just felt, you know, it just felt, it felt great. And it felt great meaning. It felt great to have a 17 year old Britney Spears chilling with us in Brooklyn mm. for like a month. In Brooklyn? 17 years on Brooklyn. Brooklyn, we had a Brooklyn studio. Where was the studio? It was on Lenox Road between uh, Schenectady and East 46. You had Britney Spears what? on Schenectady. Bumbaclad. So many people came Big through. Big up a shot. So many people came through there from Method was she, to Was she Genuine. turned out? Was she turned out? Like, I love all this black stuff. Nah, nah, nah. But she was a sweetheart. Right. We celebrated her 18th birthday right there in the studio. Um, go let's go cross. get a roti. She was, <laughs> yeah. We took her to, to get West Indian food, <laughs> all of that shit, Caribbean food, I, I, and she loved it. Jerk chicken, utica for all the black yeah. people. <laughs> she already had a nice ass at the young age, right. but hey, she was a little too young away. to smell. Well, eighteen years old. Yeah, you know. smell that vanilla was, essence. Was you still holding that Bible because you was gonna do that divorce? <laughs> now, how was a young Justin, man? Young Justin was good. Justin, Justin was incredible. Right. He was incredible. And was he in Brooklyn too? Yeah, they, they everybody Get came the through fuck Brooklyn. Out of here. Everybody came through Brooklyn. Justin, I mean, like the all parade. of Inc and our Brooklyn studio wasn't that big, right? But they all crammed in it, and it was like a little clubhouse, That's you know? Crazy. But we so you Monto recorded Jordan. some of those everybody. songs in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, in Brooklyn too. Yep. And um, Justin was just incredible. He was beyond his years. I'm like, man, this guy is dope because he loved black music and he loved like Al Green and he would do the Human Beatbox and all of that stuff. And we know that Justin at the time, when I knew that he wanted the black acceptance mm. was when we did a Vibe magazine article. Mm. And that's when it was full force. That's when everybody was talking about full force doing all these white acts. They was back on these nuts. Yeah, and everybody's like, oh shit, full force. And we Jerry wrote, did a quote about Justin, said, yeah, Justin loves black music. And, you know, we come there and he's doing Brian McKnight songs and blah, 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 blah. And I'll never forget when we went back to Orlando, Florida, Justin is, and after the Vibe magazine article came out, just like, yo, where's Jerry at? Where's Jerry? Where's Jerry? Because he wanted to say, Jerry, thanks for saying what you said, man. Oh, he thank knew. you. Because it's the he was black. focus on the black. Right, the black acceptance. Because he respected black music. And he was so enthralled that Jerry talked about him in the context of 
loving black music. black music. So he always appreciated still to this day, you know, and um, I mean, damn, he won a, didn't he win a Grammy or American Music Award for Best R&B Artist? And you know what's, what's crazy, man? Like, I was a little reluctant to accept Justin because, you know, just the history of right. whites appropriating our, our music. And I remember when he was on, on Funkmaster Flex and I was like, yo, that's a little too much. But but you you, you foresaw him becoming the king of king of R and B pop, right? I didn't know he was going to be king of R and B pop because remember he was still with Sync, right? So I didn't foresee it. I just you didn't knew, know that I he was going to. I just knew he was incredible, right? But I didn't know his solo career was going to take off. But I knew when when he was when the Soul Train Awards and all that and the black that black love. I know he was loving that shit because he respected it. He never not respected it. He never just did it just to do it like it was a fake. fad. This motherfucker loved he loved Brian McKnight, Al Green. His parents grew up on Al Green because he comes from Memphis, Tennessee. And he just respected black. He respected the culture. He was a white boy, but he respected the culture. And he never never said that he was stealing the soul. Right. He loved it. It's just like people said Lionel Richie was too pop and mm-hmm. with, with, with once, twice, three times a lady because of all music. But he just respected the culture, man. And Justin's a good dude. That's know? crazy, man. Moving forward, man, there's, there's somebody else that 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 you tapped, man. Nicki Minaj, like like like, how, like tell us about that, man. Well, you said tap. You want like to clarify? Tap, like, yeah, clarify, man. He said tap. You know, I was... no, well, Nicki, and even before Nicki, just to throw this one in, was Selena. We worked with Selena. <laughs> Yo, talk about Selena, man. Yo, with Selena, um, I'll never forget seeing a video of her at EMI EMI records or something like that and i'm like yo who's that and she was how singing in spanish she, how special was she, she was dope she was dope and she was singing in spanish and, and the, the woman nancy brennan said um her name is selena she just does tijano music but we're gonna do some i said she just, just do spanish music yeah i don't care if we got to do shit in spanish can we do that we got so some, you speak fine. spanish well, my mother's from Santa Domingo. Okay. I don't speak it, and you know. But she, y'all could get some, y'all could afford at that time. Some but we love, we always loved the Latino things and everything. Right. Like that. But no, but at that time, yeah, she did told love us the Latino things. She told us, no, no. But listen, she's we're gonna do an all English speaking album. You know, English album for Selena, right? And that's when it started. So we started doing English songs, wow. and in the middle of the album, you know, that's when she got killed. She got killed. Right? So we're mm-hmm. thinking. Oh, this album is nobody's gonna. I guess the album's done. No more all English. But what they decided to do is make the album half English, half Spanish. Because Selena was supposed to come back to our studio to do the background vocals in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, y'all had her eating roti in Brooklyn too. No, no, no. She was into her Spanish stuff, you know, her enchiladas and the. They didn't have no Mexican food. They didn't have no Mexican food. No, but she She needed some of that Dominican food. Yeah, exactly. But. The rice with the olives. And she was so, damn. And she was so dope, though. And the thing damn. about it with her is that she was supposed to come back and do background vocals. So instead, we flew out to Corpus Christi, Texas, where she was from. Right. And we, full force, did background vocals to a song called Missing My Baby. Mm. And when, and then we also did a song called um, Techno Cumbia. We did a remix of it. But she, when she passed away... How, how that's heartbreaking was that, man? Oh, man. Because at that time, nobody, even though we was working with her, nobody, not a lot of people heard about her before. Everybody heard about her when she, in passed the United away. States anyway, when she passed away. But it was crazy because when we went back to Corpus Christi, Texas to do the background vocals of the song that wasn't completed, it was still fresh. Right. And people still had flowers there. And the crazy thing was the song was called Missing My Baby. And I'm like, oh, I can't did, believe we're did, doing this. Did stuff. you know the manager? Did you, did you, did you do it? Everybody, the father, the mother, the brother, 
everybody was there. And but the man, the per- person that shot it, did you? Did you oh no, never knew her. Never knew. Okay, no, I never knew her at all. But when you we didn't did, know she was a shady when bitch. we did, when we did, I know it's crazy. When we did missing my baby, we could hear Selena's vocals coming through the speakers, but she's not there, and we're like, wow, y'all, can y'all believe this? And then when we finished doing what we had to do, the family came to hear it, and when they heard it, you know, they're crying, and 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 then when we finished, the father stood up. I'll never forget it. He stood up, and he started clapping. For us and then everybody the whole family started clapping that was like that was like a, that's crazy man that was like great that's so crazy. um so anyway so Nicki Minaj situation Nicki Minaj, man. so your son now is in the rap game right Lou Star love big up to Lou Star and the thing about it was with Nicki I remember my friend Neil I'm Grant st- I gotta interrupt you did you tell your son when he told you that he was interested in music did you encourage him or you like, yeah, it's No, great. no, I encouraged him. Right. Yeah, yeah, because he wanted to get into rap and everything right. like that. And this is before, even before the whole Nicki thing. Right. So I always encouraged him. And he's very talented to this day. He's going to be on our new single coming out with, um, it's called, uh, it's going to be on Sony featuring him, featuring Star and Santa, female rapper. And we're going to do a video and everything. He's dope. But what happened is that uh, Neil Grant brought me over to the studio uh, this guy named Boz's studio because he wanted me to check out this girl. She wasn't there at the time, but I just when I heard her voice, I'm like, "Yo, who the fuck is that?" She said, her name is Nikki. You know, Onika Onika Mirage, Nikki Nikki Mirage. She's dope. I knew my son at the time was wanted to put together a rap group, a crew. So when I heard the voice, I said, "Yo, Lou, you got to hear this girl. She's crazy." You know, so Lou heard the voice and loved it immediately. Yo, let's tr- try to form the group together. The first time I met Nikki, she came over to our house in Brooklyn. And um, when I met her, she was doing her, her dialects even back then, mm-hmm. talking in English and, hello, how are you doing? Because she was into acting as right, well. Right. But the first was the first thing she did wasn't rap for me, even though she I heard her rap, you know, on the recordings. First thing she did was sing me a gospel song. And she sounded pretty good. She, she was good. And you, and you, you know. would know. You right. Would know. I would know. Right. And she sounded pretty good, you know. And before you know it, my son loved her, recruited her to be in the group with this other brother named Seven Up. So it was like the three of them. And Hood Stars, right? The Hood Stars. The Hood Stars. And you, they signed to your, your production company. They were signed to our production company right. at the time. And, and what happened is that I had liked Lou's best friend at the time. Safari, right. Safari Samuels, but I liked him with his with the reggae type rapping. Right. But the rest of the group, including Nikki, thought he was corny. Right. Really, but Safari was corny. Right. Nikki, right. Lou, Lou Star, Seven Up. They're like, ah, oh, he's corny. But because it was Lou's friend, I kind of forced him on the on the group. Right. I literally forced him because I thought Safari was a great entertainer. He danced. He did his twerking shit even back he then. He was twerking back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Twerk up. But, but I thought he was Twerk an entertainer, right, a right. good entertainer. Um, and once so, again, you would know. Right. So I pushed him on the group. And the rest is history. Nikki and him fell in love anyway. And um, the rest is history. The Hustos was doing a whole bunch of shit. Then we grabbed Nikki to do some solo stuff on her. And we did. I And I took her like everywhere. 50 Cent, I mean, even even Jay-Z's label, and yeah, I took it for Ty Ty, and Ty Ty just, Ty Ty said, yeah, well, we just re-signed Foxy Brown, Ooh. Jay-Z just brought Foxy Brown, and then and he, you know, and he, gave, he gave Foxy a grip. Yeah. That's and, right before she got deaf. Yeah. yeah. 
and and that's why and that's why Damn. they didn't feel Nikki. And then I remember taking Nikki to uh, Warner Brothers because right. when we played the Hoodstar stuff, Kevin Lyles, even though he loved the Hoodstars, Kevin Lyles was the one that says, "Yo, man, who's that girl?" And then when we did solo Nikki, I brought Nikki straight to Kevin Lyles' face, and Kevin Lyles was like, "Yo, she's dope." But one of the executives, I'm not gonna mention his name, but one of the executives wanted like a ghost writer for Nikki. Mm. And said, Todd yeah, Moskowitz? No, it was not Todd Moskowitz. Okay. It was a black guy. Okay. Um, it's always the black guys. Gene Nelson. Uh, oh. Damn, this is true. Gene Nelson wanted a ghost writer for right. Nikki. You know, and he was what? like, and, and, and Nikki refused. Nikki said, no, I, I write my own rhymes. And she was so adamant about that. Because, yes, I mean, I don't know about the whole story thing now about Safari writing lyrics for Nikki, but I know back in the day with my son, because my son and Seven Up, they kind of helped Nikki with the whole writing style as well. And and I never saw Safari writing no raps for Nikki right, back right. then. So I don't know how all of a sudden now, you know, but my son, he saw that Nikki had a great talent and he put together the whole group and uh, of the hood stars when they would rock together and everything like that. But um, Nikki refused to be, have a ghostwriter. So we just never made that deal because right. she refused to have a ghostwriter, right, 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 right. you know, and um, but years later, and then after a while, we couldn't really get a deal because at the time, people wasn't feeling female it was rappers. Time, man. We're talking like the, yeah, like it was the, crazy. Right, the mid so we, right. So we parted ways amicably, and um, what happened is that I told her, I said, you know what, Nikki, you should try, you know, try doing some stuff like on MySpace and stuff like that. Mm. You know, do stuff on MySpace on social media thing. And I was the first one to tell her that. Right. And I never forget when she came back and said, I do thank you for telling me to do the thing on MySpace and. You know, the rest is history, and we're happy for her and everything you like that. You guys still speak, man? Or you... Well, I haven't spoken to Nick in a while, right. but, but the last time I spoke to her was when she was saying about, Lou, do you guys still got that song that I did? It's called, um, the hell is that song? Uh, the, damn, how, I, I, forgot, I forgot it now, but don't worry. You guys will hear it maybe soon. Nikki's doing the new, she's doing, but, she's doing one of your records? But maybe, maybe. not. Maybe not through Nikki, but we'll see. Okay. But um, but it's dope. We got so much. We got so much dope. You know, dope stuff. Y'all got music all raw. Over the place, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the thing about it is that Nikki did her thing, and um, you know, we're proud of her. We're happy for her. You know, so we don't we don't have any bad thing to say say about not. her or not. talk about her. None of that stuff. You know, the best part of this journey, man, is sometimes when when the road takes a dark turn, and your brother Paul mm. caught a rare case of cancer. Right. And can you walk us through that, man? Because up until this point, man, regardless if they had peaks and valleys and you guys dipped in and ascended again, you guys never had to deal with something like that, man. Not on that level. Yeah. Not with the crew. Yeah, it was crazy. I think <clears throat> Paul, you know, was working out at the gym and one of his guys was like, yo, Paul, what's that? And it was like a lump, he had like a little lump under his throat. And come to find out, it was a, can- it was a cancerous thing. And... I remember going to the to the doctor with him, and they said, "Yeah, you have a mantle cell lymphoma, a form of cancer." I'll never forget. It fucked me up. Paul, he didn't get fucked up or nothing. He just so what is it called, mantle cell lymphoma? And he sat down and he went into his BlackBerry just to f- find what what it is right. to read about Ooh. it. You know, I know if that was me, I'd run, ah, but not my brother. You know, but once that happened. 
Then we started going to different doctors, getting second opinion. One doctor said he only had like maybe a month, a few months to live. And why don't you do this uh, this other treatment? And Paul's like, no, you know, we never owned up to it. He never owned up to anything that was going to happen to him. That's why when we did the first Unsung on TV One, he still had it. And um, it came back after that episode, but he always stayed steadfast and strong and true. He was working out still. Still working out, even though the doctor Not just regular him, work. Like, like I saw some of the workouts, like with the, like doing on the, the back of the, the door, the bars and all kinds all of stuff. And and he just kept focused and kept thinking like a lion and just always, always was positive about it. And what happened is that I remember the first time we went to find a, try to look for a doctor Okay, we're going to use this doctor. We're going to use that doctor. This doctor. There's one white doctor at Sloan Kettering Memorial which is, Center. Which is top, top notch. Top notch. And he he told us what he could do and this and that. And Paul's like, you know, and his name was Doctor Paul Anthony Hamlin. Wow. And Paul said, Wow, he never met another Paul Anthony in his life. Right. So when we had to make the decision, he looked at the doctor and he said, Doc. We, I want you to be my doctor. I mean, I, I, I always bet on me. I always bet on me. I always bet on Paul Anthony. So that's what I'm going to do now. Wow. I'm going to bet on Paul Anthony. And he, he took Paul in. And um, at, at first, Paul had a, a, um, a transplant like within himself. They they called it, a, um, I forgot the name, but it was a, like a, with the inside thing. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't, we always knew that I was a match. Because we tested out, me and my brother B-Fine tested out to see Hopefully that who would be a master pool anyway for down, like down blood, the future, and, right? Like, all of that, and I remember B saying, "Yeah, I think you will pull. Yeah, I'm gonna be more of a match because me and you look alike, you know. So I don't think Lou's gonna match, and you know, beat a match for shit. It was just me, <laughs> but, but that was so funny. But you just never know. So I was a hundred percent match, and I was just there in his back pocket, just in case. And what happened is that they didn't want to do a, a bone marrow transplant because it was fifty percent that he could die. But as the years went on. And and then when Paul's cancer, the mantle cell lymphoma turned into acute leukemia. Oh, wow. Then he was really fighting for his life because right. the cancer had came back. He's fighting for his life. The doctor said, you are fighting for your life. We're going to have to do the, do the transplant with Lou. Right. And so Paul, they had to take your, your, your blood, your, your, your bone marrow? Yeah, yeah, everything. You like, know? How, 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 is that painful? Man? Well, not during. Right. But I think after the fact, I was getting crazy headaches and oh, I was fucked up. But for and my it's brother, not even a fraction of what he was going through. No, no. Because what happened is that to get ready for the transplant, because the doctor told Paul said, so doctor, what am I supposed to do to prep for this transplant? What, is it, eat better? And the doctor said, no, just be good to Lou. You be good to Lou and you'll be fine. Lose your ticket. Lose your <laughs> right. So what happened is that, what happens is that I'm home and I'm injecting myself twice a day with these Neupogen shots, which harvests the stem cells in your blood. And I would, and I did it for like two weeks, injecting myself every two weeks. And I had to do it. If I miss any time shit, I could potentially fuck up the whole shit. Right. But I would always do that. While Paul's immune system was coming lower and lower and lower and lower because they had to almost get him down to nothing right. to be ready to receive all of this my thing. Right, so when I was ready, I went into the, to the hospital just by myself and they, you know, put catheters in my arms and they was spin cycling the blood to get my stem cells. Now at the time they said Paul needed 6 million stem cells and they didn't feel that, that I might be able to produce enough because of my age. Right. 
and it was only you know it was only 28 years old two years <laughs> two years ago so so what happened is that they said listen if you don't first of all before we even did it they had a this thing they had to sign saying that let you know that you you going through this could bleed to death your, your spleen right. could rupture your life you yourself right. right so do you still want to go through with it mr george i'm like that's a dumb question of course i do i would die for my brother i mean who wouldn't want to do that and the doctor's like you'd be surprised You'd be surprised how many family nope. members sorry, sorry, backed King. out. Sorry, yeah. King. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Crazy. I'm joking, man. You know? No, no, no. And, um, and um, so, so once that happened, they said, listen, if we don't get enough, we don't get enough stem cells for your brother, we're going to have to take a catheter and put it through your chest Jesus. to bring more stem cells right. out. But, you know, wow. but after all was said and done, they was shocked because you I do still not. I didn't produce six million, motherfuckers. I produced nine million. What? And they all and I said, so wait a minute. So y'all gonna give six million to my brother and put three million like in a fridge or something just in case for him? No, no, no. We're giving your brother all that all nine million. million. Take that, take that. And I was feeling myself. I said, I'm a bad motherfucker. Damn. I was young and very nine million still records, shit. nine million nine stem million. cells. And what that the fuck? and that helped us <laughs> and that helped save his life because the next day after he got all of that. And I went was going up to his room, cause remember he was like, like knocked the hell out because his immune system was just low. Yeah. But once he got all my shit, he's the, his back is turned, and, I, and me and the nurses are looking through the window. He's up there dancing, damn, with his headphone, and it was a Beyonce song. He told me later on, I don't know what it was, but he was rocking, and tears just came to my eyes, man. It's crazy, you know, because um. I love my brother so much. I love my brothers, just my family, and I would die for them. I just felt so happy. And um, to this day, you know, he's great. It's, it was a three-year anniversary of the transplant. Congratulations. And, and he still got to go through treatments right. like every week or every two weeks still because you never know, right. a little hiccup here and there, and you got to still go, and he takes all this medication still. So once he gets to the five-year mark, then we'll be good. That's then you won't have to take all of that. So he's been he's been doing this thing. Man, I man. think you're gonna you're gonna do it too, man. Yeah, man. Paul, man, what are y'all working on right now, man? Tell us, tell the internet where they can find you, your website, what you're working on, what we can look forward to. Yeah, man, we're working on. Well, we have a new album called. I'm sorry, Full, Lou. This all called good. You Paul. We talking about Paul. Lou. We we have a new album out called Full Force with with friends with love from their friends. Okay. Where we ha is on the Sony label. And we have like over 30 guest artists on there from like Sheila E, wow. Faith Evans, wow. Harold, Howard Hewitt. We even have a dope spoken word Howard joint. Hewitt. We have a dope spoken word joint with Omari Hardwick, mm. Blair Underwood, Michael Jamal Warner, and Big Daddy Kane, which wow. is crazy. Wow. Najee's in the back playing. Wow, Najee. And, um, we got every, Regina Bell. We got UTFO. Regina Bell. Yeah, it's just go crazy. That's album. crazy, man. So, so the single coming out, single out coming out. It's like a two singles called um, Your Love Makes Me High featuring Shanice and Raphael Sadiq. Mm -hmm. And then we have this one called Call Me When You Want It featuring Lou Star and Santa, which we're going to do a video to. So we're excited about that. And um, and we got, we're got we working on a dope reality show, which we're excited about. I won't give out the name, but... Um, Has it been greenlit? It's almost there. Oh, you know? hot, it's, hot. it's really hot. And... Um, Sebas, you're in there also. Sebas is one of the, is one of the hot, people man. in there. That's we got Melly Mel and... Um, it's, 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 old it's School House? Is it really the Old dope. School House? Well, it's Old School versus New School because oh, you got the young upstarts like him that's part of the agency. Right, and right, right. He's trying to... I mean, is Melly Mel terrorizing niggas in there, man? Because you know Melly's just mad. You got... Melly's just mad. It's crazy. 
Yo, and, tell, tell, tell Melly I want to I want to interview him, man. Okay, you, I, seriously? No, Melly yeah. was one of my first. It was Grandmaster Kaz and it was Melly Mel. Like, okay. Who was Love how Melly. Niggas? Love Melly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he tight. He's tight, though, right? And, he, and he's, his nickname, he calls himself Muscle Simmons. Muscle Simmons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, if you follow Combat on uh, Instagram, you notice he put up a... Uh, the Melly Mel had a Superman joint. Yeah. And you had that a couple times on your throwback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Melly Mel is crazy, man. Great brother, man. Yeah. And and in this reality show, he's telling everybody his 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 things, his braggadocious things. You know, he's the first Amazing. rock and roll hall he's of fame. The, and, yeah. And he's a good one brother. One of the man. first dope MCs of the game, foundation of this game. Dope brother. Yo, Lou, man, um, where can they find you? What websites? Yeah, the website we got fullforceworld.com. And we got FullForceWorld.net. Very good. Well, those FullForceWorld.net was actually created by a, a cancer champion young lady in the hospital that just loved Full Force and just gifted us nice. with like a her own website, a fan website. So FullForce.net, and it's got so much things on it. And on Facebook, all of us is on there from Bowlegged Lou, but not fucking Facebook made me change to my government name, Lou George Jr. Mm. But it still says Bowlegged Lou under there. I'm on Facebook. Paul Anthony's on Facebook. Baby Jerry, who's DJ Genius, because Jerry's also a DJ, and he spins out there in Miami, Florida. And um, we got Instagram, Full Force, Twitter, Full Force, and um, we're rocking and rolling. We're really excited. Be be on the lookout for the new single, Call Me When You Want It, featuring Loose Star and Santa, which is going to be really, really, really I'm looking hot. forward to that, man. Tell us about the significance of those white beads, man. Well, there's n the significance is... I just wore them shits in the fucking 80s, and I'm still stuck with these shits. Many times I was going to cut them off. Because Wendy Williams, every time, like every time, any time, Lou, you still with them fucking beads? Jesus Christ. That, that's, that, so, that's not an extension. That's, that's your real hair. Yeah, it's real hair. Okay. It's real hair because okay. back from the Jerry Curl days. Uh -huh. and, 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 um, you, kept, you kept that strand. Right, but, but I still would take them off and rebraid it and wash it and all of that stuff. But of course. I remember Anthony <laughs> Anderson caught me out there when we was honoring him and he's like yo man I love Lou I love Bo Lou come here Lou come here man he's like yo man does everybody want to know why is Lou still rocking the beads for what is that a nappy patch what is it Lou you know <laughs> Wendy Williams would go Lou man that's so 80s why are you still wearing it and it was one time I was thinking about cutting it off but what the shit started picking up Wi-Fi. So I'm like saying, you know, let me just keep the shit because you never know. I might be onto something. Last man standing with, during the apocalypse. <laughs> Yo, Lou, man, this has been so amazing, man, taking yeah, us through you. this journey. And, you know, personally, man, like following y'all from even before y'all blew up, man, this is definitely an honor. Crazy story, crazy success story, man. You know, what I get out of it is never give up, man. Or, yeah, you got to always keep pushing no matter what through the ups and the downs. Because even though during our beginnings, things were so rough to get a deal, not once did we think we were never going to succeed because right. we'd be in this, the basement talking about what videos we we're going to do. Even though we had no record deal, we always stayed strong, you know, from Steve Salem, who rest in peace, to my my our parents, from my father, my uncle Sito, who took us to the Apollo Theater, my aunts who loved the music. So, um, you know, we just grateful for everybody that walked in our Very good. walked our path. All of our groups from Lisa and Cheryl Pepsi Riley and UTFO and Roxanne and, and you know, and UTFO, man, we got they gotta have their come up and was always a thing with UTFO that they feel and we all feel that their album should have went gold. Mm. You know, Roxanne should have went gold when other albums were going around. So we're not knocking 
select records or maybe we are but we wanted to see records of it so because they deserve a a tribute that was a 30 year anniversary so kango kid dr ice mixmaster ice educated rapper they deserve a big honor for that because um they're dope like that you know utfo was the first rap group to have dancers within their group Mm. because they first started out as dancers for houdini but they um they're dope they're a dope group man and I amazing story man thank you so much for sharing that man. yo man I want to give another shout out to my boy C Biz because up, he he's the one that put us on to you yo man combat chat yo, is C Biz shit. what's what's your what's your podcast again about nothing podcast about nothing podcast yes sir is it on iTunes yes sir is it on SoundCloud yes sir all right internet you hear that right now about nothing podcast right, and what is it about nothing there you go internet <laughs> there you go I, I want to I want to come on your show man oh anytime. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you, King. Yo, this is dope, man. I feel like we could go another hour. Did you know right all here, of man. this, man? Nah. One thing I did learn for all the internets out there who's an aspiring music artist: get your publishing right, man. Writers, or, or, or what? Or in this instance, get their publishing right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Facts. Right, right, Lou. Study. Get study their that, publishing man. right. And right if, you need, if you need a good lawyer, Combat Jack. No, man, don't call me. Reggie don't call Ose. me. I'm tired of people telling me that I jerked them in the past. I don't do that shit. Call <laughs> Kenneth Montgomery. Call James McMillan. Call Nova Perry. I got a gang of lawyers in my Rolodex, man. Do not fucking call me. Call you Guthrie. Get, call Guthrie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. Call. Call. Yeah. Call Guthrie. Um. What else is? Oh man, there's so many attorneys. Listen, hit wow. me up. Kendall me, Mentor. Kendall Mentor. Legendary the Kendall game. Louise Mentor. Went, Louise West was my yes. my, my mentor. Louise West, you know, yes. she mentored me. Yo, really? Yeah. Louise West mentored me, man. Wow, there's God a bless. there's a gang of lawyers out there. Listen. Internet, so you know what it is, man. Dream those dreams and then glow up and live those dreams. Because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Kick it some fucking ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, sir. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yo, Internet, be sure to check out the homeboy Action Bronson's new show, Fuck! That's Delicious, on Vice's new TV network, Viceland. They got a lot of cool shit on there, including a show on weed culture that I need to check out, too, for some friends of mine. Viceland TV debuts February 29th, so be sure to check it out. Numenati! This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Menna, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production. Yo, Internets, if you want that $100 iTunes or Amazon gift card, we need you to fill out this awesome survey on behalf of the Combat Jack Show. Head over to tcjssurvey.com, fill it out. You know what I mean? We need to know a few things about you and what brands you like. You know, maybe we can incorporate that into the show. And for all of that, you you get a chance to win a $100 gift card. And when you're done filling out the survey, take a screenshot, tweet at us, and we're going to shout you out for the culture. Uh, good morning, Mr. Combat Jack. My name is Rob, a.k.a. Doc Val. I am from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, I'm an avid listener. Um, on top of that, I am a Caucasian male. Um, on the behalf of urban uh, slash hoodlum Caucasian males, I would like to say that we do not support Trump's actions. Uh, we do not like him. We like you. Uh, we'd like to hear more from you, sir. Um, but once again, um, coming from all uh, better known as crackers, um, huckleberry fins, white bread, chicken shit, huckleberry fins, and crackers, once again, uh, we would like to say we do not condone 
uh, Donald Trump. Thank you, Combat Jack, and uh, you have a beloved day. Peace. Hey, what's up, what's up, what's up, Combat Jack? It's your girl, Little Miss Entertainment, and I just wanted to know what's going on. When are you going to have some female representation as an interviewer on the show? You got all the cultural moving forward men. What's up with the females? Holla back.